Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the San Francisco Department of Health, discussing the 1978 science fiction horror film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This film was directed by Philip Kaufman from a screenplay by W.D. Richter based upon the novel The Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. As the second adaptation of the novel following Don Siegel's 1956 film, Invasion of the Body Snatchers reimagines the classic story with a new setting and potent social commentary befitting the era of its release. Dialing up the paranoia with a committed cast, impressive cinematography, and elements of body horror, this film is widely considered one of the most iconic science fiction horror films of all time. This film was recommended to us by friends of the show, Andrew Dick and Kent Morton. We want to thank you both for your continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, what were your first impressions on the film? So I had never seen this film. I've heard about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do real quick want to apologize. I'm a little under the weather. So if I do sound a little funny or off, that's why. Um, I did enjoy this movie. It was a little too long for me. I will say that it was longer. I feel like it was a little too longer than it needed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I did. I did like the movie. Uh, There was some certain things that I was just kind of like, eh. But I mean, (laughs) I think... I think, again, it just goes back to me having liking a certain style of horror. Fair. Um, but this was good. And watching it for the first time, and I watched it again after, um, a couple of days after, to refresh for it. And uh, I don't want to say that it hurt it for me, but it hurt it for me. Oh, no. <laughs> the rewatch? It's just the runtime. I think it's. I think you could cut a good 20, 30 minutes out of this movie and get the same thing. I felt like it's just... It's the beginning half is just too stretched out. We don't need it to be that stretched out. I feel like you could cut some parts there or cut some time down on stuff and still get the same great movie. I will agree with you that it feels a little long, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think like you said, it's only the the front half. Right. Because once you hit a certain point, because I was like, okay, this is fine. Like everybody says how I'd never seen it either. Everybody says how great it is, you know, so I am, you know, ready to for my own opinion, uh-huh. I'm watching it in the beginning. I'm like, this is fine. Like, <laughs> it's fine. And then it hurts. It hurts. It hits a certain point. And I'm like, OK, like I'm I'm, I'm on board. Right, right. For the entire rest of the film. Mm-hmm. I think it just took me a second maybe to. And I love a slow burn. Right. I don't really know what it was here. But the first half I was I mean, when. Jeff Goldblum shows up. It's like, all right, now. <laughs> <laughs> it went up a couple points. Well, of course, but, yeah, yeah. Um, after a certain point, and I think it's when shit starts really, you know, popping off. I'm like, oh, this is like scary, scary. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't. Oh, this is like an an older horror film that's yeah, super. Yeah. No, this this is scary. And it kind of reminds me of how surprised you were to learn how much you like science fiction yes. horror. Whenever we covered The Fly. Yes. Which also with is Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I do know that um, watching this, I figured that when it hit that certain point that you would start to like it more. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. For the whole rest of the film, I was like this. I, again, doing the show, I feel like we've all learned things or confirmed things about ourselves. And the sci-fi horror thing is something I did not know about myself. <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, it is what it is. I will say also that... <laughs> 
I did enjoy seeing how much the faculty took from this. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which only makes it better to me. That is something that... Because <laughs> I've only seen... I only watched this film once. Right. Yeah. I was a teenager, and really the only thing that I remembered from it was the ending, which we'll obviously talk oh, about. Oh, my God. A lot. But um, re-watching it now and doing the script for the show, it's unbelievable how much pop culture... Oh, yeah. And specifically the faculty. The faculty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Borrowed pretty liberally. Right, right. From this. Well, there's a little happening in there at one point. Uh, that there is. I was no, like, that's, All right. that's I was like, true. <laughs> but yeah, the faculty, when your sister said that, I was like, oh, no, yeah. Yeah. There's a like, certain that. point at the end where I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say as an adult, though, I do enjoy it more than I did back then. Okay. Because I feel like watching it as an adult, you're picking up on all these themes that kind of went over your head. Right. It's so uncomfortable, too. Oh, it is. And at the beginning, it's it's pretty subtle. Yeah. And that's always... I know I've talked a lot about like being like othered is really scary um, to me. And this really does that because it's like that feeling of everyone around you being in on something and you're just like there by yourself. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that on get out. Exactly. As well. That that vibe is thick in this for sure. Yeah. One thing I kind of hadn't counted on was the body horror. Yeah. Yeah. That shocked me. I was a little surprised as well. Cause honestly, I mean, when you're thinking about the 1956 film, they did deal with the pods, but it wasn't as, like, obviously it wasn't as graphic. Right. And as um, suggestive as some cr- critics have made it right. up to be. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I did want to talk about, because there w- were a lot of changes from the source material to the adaptations. Okay. Um, the novel by Jack Finney, because uh, this film and the 1956 original are pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the novel itself is bleak in its own way, but there's a much more positive ending, I guess. Maybe for the time, that's what they thought. Oh okay. yeah, no, okay. we, don't, we don't do that. We don't here. get that. Here. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, Kaufman, the director, he was a huge fan of the 1956 film. He actually hadn't read the novel; he had just seen the original adaptation, mm-hmm. and he was actually nervous to do anything having to do with a remake because he's like, I don't want to, you know, fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard on this behind the scenes featurette, he actually went to meet with Don Siegel who directed the original. And whenever he met with them, they had talked about, I guess, all these ideas that they had for 56. Right. That the studio wouldn't allow them to do. And so that kind of fed into ideas that end up in this film. Oh, okay. So he did utilize those? Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So this is kind of, and there's something, man, there's something that comes up later in this film that harkens back to the original in such an interesting way that it kind of recontextualizes everything. Okay. And so I really can't wait to talk about that part. Yeah, me neither. But I feel like the thing that gives this the staying power is that when you look at Jack Finney's novel, the... <laughs> I, I was not going to give it away, but I mean, the alien shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all know what it is. Uh, the alien. We saw the faculty. <laughs> yeah. we, we know. We know. We know. <laughs> uh, the alien stuff is kind of written in such a way that it can represent as an allegory just about anything. Okay. And when you look at the original versions from the 50s, the novel and the film, you kind of, and a lot of science fiction at the time, aliens were meant to represent either the Red Scare yeah. or McCarthyism as a whole. Right. I feel like this film is more of a commentary on 
conformity okay and individuality and shifting ideologies of the time i can definitely see that and i think that the thing is is looking at history from stuff that i've read you look at the 70s as kind of a transitional period between the 60s being this kind of free-loving idealism Mm -hmm. and then the 80s being the reagan era conservatism materialism right so the 70s kind of catch you in this weird material girls yeah <laughs> i guess i understand <laughs> yeah, yes, we love, we love Madonna, yes. <laughs> but so it kind of gives for an interesting kind of idea when you're watching this film of what was going on at the time and it keeps it interesting because this film has been done like four or five times Six, if you count the faculty. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we're counting the faculty. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you look at it, it's like every single time it can represent something else of the time, which is just brilliant. Yeah. I just watched it as Alien. <laughs> <laughs> and it works that way too, though. It does. I mean, yeah. One thing I did read that will kind of shock you, Ney, is that it came out a month after Jonestown. Holy shit. Which only lends to this. No shit. Yeah. That was like, huh. All right. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? No. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Now, before we duplicate this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's stay awake. So the film begins on a shot of a distant planet. Accompanied by an eerie score and the bright light of the nearby sun, smoke rises on the surface of the planet as a translucent and amorphous organism crawls across ragged rocks. Suddenly, with a high-pitched squeal, pieces of the organism rise up from the collective into the atmosphere and travel through the universe as the music grows tense and triumphant. We then get the title, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was like, okay, this is definitely (laughs) (laughs) sci-fi. They're letting us know right out the gate. I thought it was bold to start out that way. The novel does not start out that way. No. And the original film starts out more just with the main character talking. Okay. Uh, This, it's basically like, yeah, there's yeah, aliens. Yeah. <laughs> They're letting you know very quickly. <laughs> I thought it was funny how much space looks like a fish tank. Fair. And um it probably was. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was the 70s, man. Yeah. <laughs> but it 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 did look good though. I will say that because I was looking and I was like it's clearly jellyfish or some shit. See, but, I was surprised at how good it looked. Yeah, but it, I did watch it. I was like, man, this looks good for the time. Yeah. I was like, this, I I would sit there and believe it if this was back then. You know yeah. what I mean? I was like, oh, shit, where'd they find this? They had said on commentary that the alien ectoplasm situation, yeah. it is the easiest effect in the whole film. Okay. Because the goo is made out of like this substance, I guess, is used in paint for artists oh okay and so they went to an art supply store and bought a vat of it for five (laughs) dollars holy shit (laughs) well yeah they they got the job done yeah they put it in uh water so probably the fish tank yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then uh reversed photography it looks cool though it does like it does look like it's something alive yeah yeah it does but as the opening credits continue the organisms float freely through the stars and past planets before finally reaching earth crashing down thunderously through the clouds. 
The camera glides down the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, California, and rests on a nearby plant with small purple flowers. Under light rain, the leaves of the plant are slick with the alien goo. So there, there's no mystery here. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny to me that they're like, well, let's see it from the alien's point of view. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like you're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> Record, Record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> but as the score rumbles and screeches, we get shots of the organism spreading through vegetation, mud, and puddles. We also get a shot of a garbage truck, which becomes very important. Yes. But even more, we see vines growing out of the goo on leaves, forming pods that bloom into ominous pink flowers. Elizabeth Driscoll, played by Brooke Adams, notices one of these flowers and plucks it from a plant, smelling it. As she walks away, an elementary school teacher, played by Lee Mines, encourages her students to pick some of the flowers, and she tells them to take them home to their parents. (laughs) (laughs) Like, so we're fucked already. For the love of God! (laughs) But a priest, played by Robert Duvall, swings on a nearby swing set, watching them as they pick the flowers. What are you doing? I, a, yeah. a, a, what are you doing here? B, this was creepy as fuck. Yes. Yeah. Like, it, I guess it's something that could be innocuous, but it was very, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Well, I, In my notes, I put that priest is an alien. I didn't actually think that, <laughs> but <laughs> well, the, thing was, the thing was really weird. Right. In all honesty, the camera sweeps from the pods to the priest. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I think it's supposed to be maybe. like a suggestion. Oh, all right. And they had said that um, it's kind of, Gives you a feeling of unease on purpose because it's a sign of what's to come. Yeah. But I do want to talk about why he's here. Please. Because <laughs> it's Robert Duvall. And yeah. this is it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. But basically, Robert Duvall worked with Kaufman in 1972. Mm-hmm. And he played Jesse James. I forget the name of the Western. But he was the lead actor in the film. All right. Then when they're filming this, they're friends already. Uh-huh. Duvall just so happens to be in San Francisco. And so he's like, hey, you want to put on this priest outfit and play the priest? <laughs> sure. Right, yeah. Sure, guys. <laughs> they paid him with a coat. All right. Uh, you know, well. how nice was the coat? I'd probably take it. It was Eddie Bauer. I'd oh, probably take right, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, what, two minutes of work? Yeah. yeah. I've heard that name before. I don't, I'm not a fashionista. <laughs> Are you not? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know the what? guy who wears the same fucking <laughs> outfit every day. They have cars like that, too. What? Explorer, Eddie Bauer edition. I don't know what the fuck that is. He's designing cars. Yeah, I have no idea. Eddie Bauer can do it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> do whatever the fuck you want. I know Eddie Monster. Yeah, Monster. I, yeah. <laughs> I know Eddie Guerrero. How about that? Right. How about that? I know Eddie, Eddie Caputo. Monster. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know Eddie Caputo. Uh, he's dead. He's in uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> child's play, man. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't know. He's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Double cross Charles, man. That's right. That was his name. Pump the brakes real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I shouldn't be laughing at all. <laughs> never mind, never mind. An Eddie Bauer coat, huh? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. That is what he was paid. I know it was episode 39, but I wrote the script for Child's Play. I should know that fucking name. <laughs> but I was like, Eddie Caputo. Yeah. And just deer in the headlights when he's like, he's dead. Oh, he's yeah. dead. Um, that was more than 100 episodes ago. Yeah, so give, your, give yourself some ago. grace. Yeah. Thank you. Thank There's you. a lot of character names in yeah. between then. And I only remember it because I love Chucky. True. So, yeah. <laughs> but Elizabeth rushes across the street and into her townhouse. As soon as she's inside, she scolds Dr. Jeffrey Howell, her boyfriend played by Art Hindle, for not picking up the mail. Wearing headphones and watching a basketball game on television, 
Jeffrey just snaps his fingers at her and burps. He's a class act. Mm-mm. The snapping of the fingers, I was already like, you're, that's a, that, you're on thin ice, buddy. <laughs> your sister would have broke my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that shit at all. And that's how we're meeting him. Yeah. yeah. No. But she walks over to him and she falls into his arms and they start to make out a little bit. He pulls away from her to cheer on his team after they score a basket. So to him, he's living his best life. Yeah. He's like, get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's happening on the game. But later, the camera presses in through the hallway as Elizabeth tells Jeffrey, who stands in front of the greenhouse, about the plant that she found. She says that she thinks it's a Grex, and when he doesn't understand, she explains that a Grex is when two species cross-pollinate and produce a third, completely unique one. She then reads from a book, further explaining the species as epilobic, coming from epi, meaning upon, and lobus, meaning pod. The book says that the species are dangerous weeds and should be avoided, which kind of catches Jeffrey's attention. She hands him the pod, which now rests in a glass of water, and explains how rapidly the species grows, even in the worst conditions. I think she used the term thrives on devastated ground oh that's yes. which was uh, that was uh, that's concerning <laughs> that's oh. concerning and it's metal as fuck yeah, like, we can yeah. All agree. <laughs> <laughs> but quickly changing the subject jeffrey suggests that they get away to veil for the weekend which elizabeth barely commits to it felt like he did not give a fuck about what she was saying. oh no he's like yeah yeah, yeah. hey let's go to veil <laughs> like he did like he did not give a shit no not at all but that's kind of his character yeah fair enough he's very self-involved yeah But he then tries to swoop on her, but she tells him that she's busy working. He's apparently all chubbed up because his team won. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't believe I said that. (laughs) He's excited, man. He is. (laughs) But Elizabeth is annoyed at the racket of the television, and she goes downstairs. Elsewhere in San Francisco, through a peephole, we see Matthew Bennell, played by Donald Sutherland. He knocks on the door, telling Henri, a French restaurant owner played by Jerry Walter, that he's with the health department. I will say, it is a fun shot through the peephole, but it it makes me think that someone's apartment has a full kitchen in it. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that at all. And in the original film and the novel, Miles Bennell, the character, Mm. is a doctor. Okay. So I thought it was interesting they made that change. Yeah. I think they had said that they wanted to give him a science background, sort of. Okay. But not making him kind of like unrelatable. Or like too knowledgeable. Yeah. About, yeah. I, All right. I, 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 I can like see that. that. Yeah, yeah. That's a smart change. I got to say, everybody here seems super happy to see Matthew. Oh, clearly. Yes. <laughs> and I'm glad that he's among friends. <laughs> you love to see it. You love yeah. to see it. He is so good in this. Yes. Donald Sutherland. Oh, I yeah. mean, he's good in everything, but I really enjoyed him in this. I will say when he gets incensed, all I hear is his character from The Simpsons. The Simpsons. I yeah. told Trump all the exact same thing. I was like, I know who he is. But when I was a kid, I only knew him as, what was he, a historian? Yes. At the thing that Dan, Lisa, and her children and her children's children (laughs) for three months. months. (laughs) I was like, that's all I hear. Yes. And it's throughout. I saw it too young. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't change his voice at all. Not at all. Yeah. I said, no, it's Kiefer's dad. That too. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But surrounded by chefs, as you said, his good friends. Yes. The owner greets Matthew with a smile, but his face immediately sours as Matthew gets down to business. Moving through the restaurant in a slick Dr. Loomis style coat. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He stops to stare into a pot. He asks the chef, played by Maurice Argent, what the meal is supposed to be. 
The chef tells him that it's calf brains in red wine, but Matthew asks what else is inside. Henri says that it's a secret recipe, but Matthew reminds him that there are no secrets from the health department. I realized in this moment that this is a brilliant like scam if you're trying to figure out your favorite <laughs> recipes. Yeah. <laughs> no, you tell no, me. I'm with the health department. <laughs> and how much garlic exactly is in this? Oh, so three cloves. <laughs> Interesting. This, Can you just write that down? Yeah, <laughs> what the hell? The health department really... No, these are- <laughs> they're going to love that you were so cooperative. <laughs> I also did learn from commentary that this is a real restaurant in San Francisco. Oh, shit. And from that, I learned that there were basically no sets in this film. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, nearly huh. everything was either a repurposed location that already existed or it was just flat out on location. That's pretty wow. cool because we don't see that a lot. No. Yeah. So I was like, and they make it work. Yeah. yeah. But reluctantly, Henri lists all the ingredients, but with a small pair of tweezers, Matthew pulls out something small and round. The chef excuses it as a caper, all the other chefs taking notice of this conversation as Matthew shares the fact that it is a rat turd. Not a rat turd. He said turd too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought you were un- official. <laughs> professional. Yeah. But they go back and forth, Henri insisting that it's a caper until Matthew tells him, if it is a caper, then eat it. Henri goes silent. Yeah, he's like, not yeah. so fast. <laughs> now, hold on. Now, he, I, it is a pain in the ass when the health department comes in, but I do understand it's for health reasons. For yeah. sure. It's for health safety. Mm-hmm. So I get it. He is being extra, but... Please, Please don't let them no. serve me yes, this shit yes. with rat shit in there. That's, Please don't. That's We're the begging health, you. Yes. That's the health inspector that you want. Yeah. At the, I, and especially something that happens in a minute. I'm like, are we supposed to be siding with yeah, the no. staff <laughs> yeah. that was serving rat turds? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm on Matthew's side. It's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was thinking because the health department is completely different, but I was thinking about the FDA, how much what, you know, certain things are allowed in food. I know. Right, right. I was thinking the, the owner is like, we're allowed five rat turds <laughs> per, per plate <laughs> per plate but matthew collects the turd and tells them that he's filing for a revocation of their permit remarking that they charge way too much to serve crap like this literal crap indeed and he's not wrong and if he's revoking their license this is not the first time no this is not the first turd that matthew has found here i would but, say not but is it really a turd or is he really mad about the prices maybe oh, we'll, go. Yeah. <laughs> well he's got the recipe now you charge too much to be selling turds yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't even take that for free dude <laughs> <laughs> But Henri insists that it was an accident as Matthew continues his inspection with a blacklight. So the blacklight, th- this is like the first instance of purple light in this film. Okay. It pops up a few times to mean something else. But the first time seeing it here, it's kind of like ingratiating you to the idea. All right. Because mm. there's a lot of green light as well, which I'm sure we all noticed. Yeah. Which I, I loved it. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. I loved it. But after Matthew's finished with the inspection... He heads to his car outside to find a broken bottle resting on his hood underneath his freshly shattered windshield. My first reaction is don't fuck with cooks. Yes. But which is still true. Yes. yes. But then I'm like, no, dude, y'all had raptors <laughs> in the soup. It's funny to me because like, we should be able to put rat shit yeah. wherever yeah. we want. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. He's keeping the city safe. Yeah. He is. 
it's even funnier because he peers through the windshield to see two of the chefs yeah, smoking yeah. outside. Yeah. 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 And they're staring at him. <laughs> which to me it's like, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> but nothing comes of that. No. Well, they were looking at him like, fucking say something. Matthew's like, I'm going home. Right, uh, <laughs> go back to work. <laughs> yeah, yes. Like your stew ain't shit. And then he <laughs> well, it is shit. But it is shit. Yeah. It's rat shit. <laughs> but yeah, Ma- Matthew just turns around, turns on his windshield wipers and drives away. I did want to point out the splintering cracks in his windshield. Kaufman said on commentary are supposed to be foreshadowing of the pods. Oh, okay. It's like, that's very interesting. It is. But the radio chatters as Matthew hears sirens wailing past him as an officer speeds by on their motorcycle. The night lights of the city go out of focus and a blur through his windshield. So I had to call out the cinematographer on this film. I think that his work is brilliant in this. Yeah. His name is Michael Chapman, and we've talked about him before on the show because he would go on to later shoot The Lost Boys. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I thought you were going to say The Faculty. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's get that guy from. But the thing was, this shot reminded me of Taxi Driver. Okay. Yeah. And he shot Taxi Driver. Oh, Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, it made perfect sense. But at her house, Elizabeth receives a phone call from Matthew, who we learn is her coworker. He explains about his windshield and the low quality bottle of wine used to smash it. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna throw the shade. I mean, yeah. period. I appreciate he's keeping a humorous Yeah. Because yeah. I'd be like, they broke I'd be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to do my job. They broke my windshield. This city is sort of gone. But he also makes mention of the Warriors' victory, correctly guessing that Jeffrey is pretty stoked about it. As I said, he was... Just yeah. Like, yeah, he's hard. <laughs> <laughs> he's very excited about it. <laughs> but we see Matthew cutting an article out of today's paper, but the headline at the top of the page reads, Webs shroud the Bay Area. Spider colonies fall from the sky. Oh, <laughs> hell <Okay>. no. <laughs> I can't stress it enough. I was glad it was getting some kind of coverage, but I'm like, you guys are not (laughs) (laughs) treating this. We're not reacting properly to this. Yeah, no. (laughs) But he cuts the name of the paper out as well, probably for a scrapbook, totally ignoring the spider article. As he's doing this, he tries to convince Elizabeth to come into work early tomorrow, but she's not down for it in the slightest. He then reminds her that he nominated her for the Civil Servant of the Year Award, and as she pours herself a glass of milk, she relents and says that she'll come in early to run tests for him. It killed me because he's asking her to come in early to test that rat turd. Yeah. yeah. Because he's like, we need to sh- shut this down at sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> 8 a.m. is too late to shut this down. <laughs> what I love is that him asking her to test it is like, it could be a caper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I like, I was bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> but he thanks her and they say their good nights. I will say this is the start of obviously something more that's going to come later. Right. But I do like their interactions a lot. Their chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> I I do like the way they play off each other. Uh-huh. I just have a problem with why or how a little later. Okay. So that to me was a... We'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Put a pin in that. Right. Yes. But after Elizabeth hangs up, we get an odd shot of the telephone wire like vibrating or something. 
I didn't know. I was like, okay, there's two things that are possible. One, it's supposed to be ominous in a way. Yeah. And two, everybody that grew up at this time is like, no, all our phones farted in the 70s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time they hung, you hang yeah. up and farts and then you go to bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then you go to bed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but Elizabeth heads up to her bedroom to find Jeffrey already asleep. She sets the alarm on the nightstand clock, reaching over the glass, holding the pod to do so. She then snuggles up to Jeffrey and he holds her close as Eerie Piano plays and the camera settles in on the now luminescent and growing pod. You see it's growing in the same purple light. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's totally cool to be sleeping next to that thing. I'm sure (laughs) sure that's not a mistake at all. She read like the scariest shit ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Night night. Right next to her fucking (laughs) husband's sleeping face. Well, he and then he's got the headphones on the whole time. It's like, damn, you love those headphones, it's, dude. He Unbelievable. Does. Yeah. He does. I think he's sponsored by them. Yeah. <laughs> those are like Raycons or whatever. They're, he's like, these are my Eddie Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> like, now that is the second time. <laughs> my Eddie Bauer headphones. It did hit me just now that Matthew's using that black light to kind of see something insidious that might be lurking that the naked eye can't see. Yeah. Maybe something to think about. But suddenly the alarm sounds loudly and Elizabeth, the next morning, now alone in bed, rolls over to shut it off. At the side of the bed, she finds Jeffrey dressed in a suit, stoic and sweeping up the remnants of something. She asks how long he's been awake and emotionlessly he answers, not long. I don't like any yeah. <laughs> I don't like any of this. <laughs> he turns and leaves the room, not answering her when she asks what he's doing. She follows him downstairs into the kitchen, only to watch him head outside with the dustbin. He walks down a set of stairs and walks calmly over to a waiting garbage truck to dump the waste into the back. After it compacts, the sanitation worker hops on the truck and it speeds away. Elizabeth watches from the window as the camera presses in on Jeffrey, who just stands there watching the truck. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's too much. It was weird enough. Yeah. Why do you need to take that outside right now? Why is the garbage truck conveniently there right yeah. at the second? Waiting for you. Waiting, yeah. And you're looking after it like longingly. Like yeah. it was all very weird. Almost as if to say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I will say it, the eeriness mounts because it. when you think of a garbage truck, yeah, it should stop at the next house. Right. Nah. No, it's like, no, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're That's done all we needed. Day. That was it. <laughs> but a clock on the mantle loudly chimes at 7 a.m., startling Elizabeth out of the moment. We then cut to a street in the early morning with nearby bells chiming. A man with a white beard crosses the street and appears to be running for his entire life. Elizabeth walks down the sidewalk and another man rushes past her in the same manner, but she doesn't notice. This is clearly... Shot of the Dead? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can't be the only one thinking it. Absolutely not. I was like, they must have... Because even him running and like nobody paying attention, I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I like my homages to be. Like little stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is just for the fans or whatever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) For those of you paying attention. Exactly. But she just continues on, passing Harry, a busker played by Joe Bellin, who sits with his dog playing a banjo. He's not the he's playing the banjo. Not the <laughs> yeah, not the ba- <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. <laughs> like that, that would have stuck out to me. I did want to point out the banjo that we hear is actually piped in, 
and I read that it's played by Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. Okay. Oh, shit. All right. Very cool. He was apparently friends with the, not the sound designer, but one of the sound designers, Susan Crutcher. All right. And she just asked him if he wanted to, and he's like, yeah. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> but to the tune of the banjo, Elizabeth enters the Department of Public Health. Now, I thought it was funny because it says that this is on Grove Street. Grove Street. So I was like, oh, they're in the hood. <laughs> Grove Street. <laughs> and there's a lot of green in this film. Yeah. <laughs> it tracks. Yeah. But realizing now that the bell outside must have meant it was 8 a.m., Elizabeth is arriving late to work, and she finds Matthew chatting with Picardo, a lab worker played by Gary Goodrow. He's like, that place should have been shut down already. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. They've served breakfast. <laughs> but Elizabeth apologizes for being late. But Matthew says that it's no bother and that Picardo is already working on what he asked of her. As it turns out, they're testing a baked potato, attempting to find out which part of it is phony. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Interesting. Interesting. But Elizabeth throws Jeffrey under the bus, saying that he was acting really strange this morning, which is what made her late. It's like he he was yeah, outside. He, <laughs> <laughs> no, let's blame everything on Jeffrey. Sure. Um, I did appreciate her acknowledging it and yes, her mentioning yeah. it. Very fair. Matthew just offers that all dentists are crazy and gets back to work. It. I don't know why it seemed very forced that they were making him a dentist because he says it like three times in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, that's Dennis. I was like, I don't know about Okay. <laughs> but Elizabeth follows him out saying that Jeffrey was weird and not in the usual way, which Matthew says can only be an improvement. Yeah, I don't think Matthew's a big fan. Not yeah. so much. Jeffrey. No. Nah. I did think it was weird when they were walking through the health department. If you look, there's an old man standing at the window just looking yes, at them yes, walk by. Yes. So I was like, what the fuck is that? That to me is probably one of my favorite things about this film is the shit going on in the, in background, the background that you maybe notice. Yeah. Maybe not. No, it. it I, I was like, why He's is he just staring there? Yeah. yeah. It's very unsettling. Yeah. yeah. But Elizabeth disagrees with the fact that it's an improvement and says that Jeffrey actually made her nervous, though. Matthew says that she should tell him to shape up or get out, but she reminds him that it's Jeffrey's house. Matthew, possibly overstepping, says to make him an offer. And I was like, huh. Mm, yeah. It's getting more and <laughs> you more. You love yeah. her. <laughs> but Matthew asks to show Elizabeth something that will cheer her up and pulls a small glass bottle out of his pocket. The camera sweeps around them as he does, and this is where we see that man standing behind the window of an office door staring at them unwaveringly. Just like unashamed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just bold. Now, in all fairness for them, I was like, how did they not notice that? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? He's sir, right there. Can right I help there. you, yeah. sir? Yeah. <laughs> you got a problem? <laughs> Are we fighting? Yeah. What the hell? But they don't notice at all and just continue down the hall with Matthew asking her to guess what's in the bottle. When she incorrectly guesses a caper is inside, he excitedly tells her that it's a rat turd. <laughs> <laughs> he jokes that the sauce was delicious, though, but they're interrupted by another department worker credited as Rodent Man, played by Al Nalbandanian. All right. Rodent Man? <laughs> we quickly learn why. <laughs> because Rodent Man shows off a rat that he found at the restaurant, with Matthew saying that they'll be able to get a declaration of unsanitary on the restaurant. I think he's well, got good. like some vendetta. See, that's what I'm saying. Is it the prices or did you plant that rat? You know what I mean? He's like, is this your shit? Yeah, yeah he's like sprinkling <laughs> it while they're not looking. <laughs> 
But before he heads into an office with Rodent Man, he asks Elizabeth if there's anything he can do about the Jeffrey situation. She tells him not to worry and even apologizes, but he just holds her hand and tells her that he'll talk to her later. Yeah, she doesn't look very mad about him. You know what I mean? No, she's open to it. Listen, there's some lemon square energy happening here. Some? Some. Some. (laughs) (laughs) But these are... I hate Jeffrey. (laughs) These are really good lemon squares. (laughs) Hey, if, if... Week if Dewey couldn't get away with it, uh-huh. no, well, I'm not accepting because that. he was going home to Gail Weathers. This ass, I don't, I don't He's like. He's got Jeffrey. those cool headphones. He does <laughs> the Eddie Bauer. <laughs> How can you turn a man down with Eddie well, Bauer headphones? Well, he was burping and shit. Yeah, yeah. he's trash. He's I don't like. like that. Ah, bring that tush over or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that tush. I don't know what they were saying. <laughs> But Elizabeth backs away, accidentally bumping into someone before walking back into the laboratory. She and the man exchange awkward looks back and forth as they exit at opposite ends of the hall. She apologized to him when she bumped into him. Yeah. And he's still looking at her weird. Yes. I was like, is there, do, yeah. we, do we have a problem we got to solve? Or what the fuck? I'm fighting you too? Yeah, God like, damn. The There's already that man in the window. Yeah. <laughs> But later at home, Elizabeth attempts to find out what's going on with Jeffrey. But before she can get to the bottom of it, he tells her that he's headed back out of the house. She asks him about the playoff game that they were apparently supposed to attend tonight. And he tells her that he gave the tickets away to a patient of his. This is what I'm, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Trash. It's, it's a little out of the, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what? Trash. They had plans tonight. Yeah. And uh, I'm I look I don't go to a lot of fucking like big sporting events. Right, no. that's something that you would plan like weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe living in a big city, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe when you're a dentist, you, can, yeah. <laughs> you get those tickets all the time. But she asks him what's going on, and he assures her that he's fine, and says that he just has to go to a meeting. When she asks what meeting, he tells her that he doesn't have to justify every move of his to her. I'm s- I'm sorry. <laughs> Back up, dude. Back up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're doing too much. Yeah. <laughs> Block. Guard your face. Yeah. <laughs> Reel it in. But he just stops stone-faced in the hall as Elizabeth stands behind him and runs her hand through his hair. But her entire expression changes as she's suddenly filled with fear. Jeffrey turns around asking her what's the matter, but she quickly tells him nothing before retreating down the stairs. She watches as he steps out of the house and a car immediately pulls up out front. As he gets inside, she slinks into the sofa, putting her hand over her face. My question at first, I was like, well, what did she see when she was standing behind him? Yeah. But then I'm like, well, honestly, every single time we've seen Jeffrey, he's been incredibly affectionate. Yeah. She goes up behind him, starts rubbing his hair. He does nothing. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have to see the weird fucking look on his face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever took him over has made him rude as fuck. Yes. (laughs) And that pickup was so coordinated. Yes. It's not like he could text and be like, all right, I'm coming outside right now. He walked out and Uh they were like, get in loser we're yeah. going whatever the, whatever going the fuck to that we're secret doing. meeting <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and it was just as weird as the garbage truck yeah oh, exactly yeah. so shit's just piling up and yeah it's 78 you don't fucking have a no not at all garbage garbage man can you yeah. meet me up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at his house matthew chops vegetables in this kitchen but is interrupted by his doorbell ringing is he copying that recipe <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> Some red no, turds. 
pulled the rat turds on mine, he please. Is. You yeah. know he is. I mean, he's getting it for free now. He good. said the sauce was good. He did. He did? He's like, it was fu- like now minus the rat right. shit. <laughs> shit was bomb. But he invites the visitor in and we see that it's an out of breath Elizabeth. She asks him if it's true that if you think you're losing your mind, that you're actually not. And he says that he does believe that. And Elizabeth says that she hopes it is true. But now standing in front of him, she tells him plainly, Jeffrey is not Jeffrey. She got there so fast. Oh, she did. Um, We had a two minute like yeah. little back and forth. Well, but in all fairness, I think that it's it's assumed that she called Matthew. No, no, no. I'm saying uh, her being like, that's not him. Oh, right, right, right. I think for and me and John Paul have been together for a very long time. So at first I'm like, okay, maybe you just know him so well, whatever, whatever. But I'd be like, he's being so mean to me today. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. You wouldn't I be wouldn't like, be like, that's, that's, not- that's, not- <laughs> <laughs> that's not my husband. <laughs> I just feel like that was a very quick leap. I, I prefer it to her spending 75% of the film in denial. Fair. But still, I was like, damn, Elizabeth, like you're on the fucking ball because I, I'm paranoid as fuck. And I don't think I would have yeah. jumped to that immediately. Well, <laughs> I think I think the thing for me was the fact that um, whenever they got into bed together, she put her arm around him. He immediately reached for her. No, I get it. He's standing there like a goddamn mannequin. Yeah. But then that's a bold statement. That's not. Yeah, no, you're cheating on me. Something. Like you're leaving in the middle of the night. You blew off our plans. You're not responding. You're cheating on me. That's what I'm thinking first. I'm not thinking, oh, Something that's his is. body. <laughs> but that but ain't him. <laughs> it, it, that is funny to think about that. <laughs> but I mean, she could see that he got into the car with people. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was just another one other person. You're right. getting in a car with a group full of people. What the fuck are you going to go yeah, do right now? That, that, yeah. I wouldn't think cheating. I would just be like, you're acting fucking weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, what, what are you What doing? are you hiding? Yeah. What's what are you going doing? on? Well, they always say like four out of five dentists. Maybe these are the four dentists. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> they all go to the same yeah, <laughs> and vote on toothpaste. Like, That's what he's doing. We oh, figured yeah. it out. Yeah. There you go. We all like Colgate, right? <laughs> <laughs> Meeting adjourned. Yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> they got to touch base. Mm-hmm. But she says on the outside, it is still him. But on the inside, she knows that something is different. Something is missing. His emotions, his feelings. He's not the same person. Matthew half listens as he whips up some stir fry, feeding a piece of celery to Elizabeth. She says that she knows it sounds crazy, but it's true. I'm just, I'm going to point out, I am, uh... I ship them, okay? Uh-huh. I think they're doing it the wrong way because him feeding her was, that was a lot. It was well. That was very intimate and you are still with dickhead. <laughs> he's an asshole, yeah. but leave him. Yeah, but he's not who he used <laughs> to be. <laughs> the, the look that Jumpo is giving you well, right now. Well, <laughs> again, my problem is this. Dewey couldn't eat anything that was made for the whole department. Right. That was not made for uh-uh, the department. Uh-uh, she uh-uh, might, uh-uh. As, she no? might as no, well it was. been giving it him was. her pussy. That's, oh, no, my that's God. Literally. And okay, so what is he feeding her then? You don't just drop a pee yeah. Celery. <laughs> no, oh, celery. Yeah, his penis. Come on. Jesus what Christ. What are you talking about? <laughs> we all knew what lemon squares meant. That was not for the department. That was for Dewey. It was a treat, a little decorum, please. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a goddamn pastry. Look, I, That's the P word. <laughs> a pastry. I got it. Oh, I got Jesus it. Christ. All right. But, <laughs> all right. but either way, she took what? Like you said, that just happened. She immediately, oh, that's not him. So what's up? You want to make me some no, dinner? No, no, that's oh, not. No. Matthew was already cooking. <laughs> uh, with two bowls out. 
Well, but he got a call. <laughs> Put another bowl out, please. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do my girl Gail like that. That's I'm the bottom line. I, I, all I'll say is that it's clear that Nay's a hypocrite. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to hope that just, I'm not taking over for two hours <laughs> and you're already and, fucking talking to the neighbor. Ma- Immediately. Maybe may taking over. Um, yeah, okay. We have may, no, yeah, no, no proof. It but hasn't even been a full yeah, day. Yeah, you're fucking like, so you over here having uh, dinner. Matthew or what? <laughs> <laughs> but Matthew just suggests that they eat outside because it's a beautiful night and Elizabeth sips from a glass of white wine. And we're drinking wine. Oh, um, wow. It doesn't look good. Okay. I'm, mm-hmm. I will concede to that. You can have wine with friends. This no, this is, is not. not. Yeah, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> my friends don't put celery in my mouth and we go well, eat outside. And celery is not a great it's vegetable. Not the, it's, <laughs> it, it's, not <laughs> it's the feeding. It, that was very yes, intimate. It's too yeah. far. Just run away with Matthew. Don't Don't waste your time on fucking Dingleberry over there. It's just Jeffrey? not. Jeffrey? Yeah. Je- Jeffrey? <laughs> Mm. I I will say in the novel and the original film, the Elizabeth character has a different name and the Matthew character has a different name. Okay. But Elizabeth and Matthew are freshly divorced, the both of them. Oh. Oh, Okay. So that changes the dynamic. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that might be a little, you know what I mean? Understanding. Not saying that it's right, but it would be a little more, oh, okay, I can. You're both single. Yeah. Not that's not that's not at all what's happening. Here. It's not. I like the aspect of him clearly being in love with her. She's entertaining it a little too much for somebody yeah, who is a little too who much. Is boot up with somebody else, but I like I like Matthew. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting for all Matthew. right. <laughs> <laughs> but under the lights of the city, Matthew and Elizabeth have dinner together. Elizabeth admits that she was going to go see Jeffrey's sister, Nora, to talk to her about it, but stopped herself. Matthew asks if she was afraid that Nora had changed, too, and Elizabeth assumes that Matthew thinks she's crazy. He says that he doesn't, but he tells her that they might want to talk to his friend, David Kipner, about it. Elizabeth is like, the psychiatrist? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's your first thought. Yes. Matthew says that it's not like that, though. He just thinks that he could put things into perspective for her. He could eliminate a variety of theories that could lead to Jeffrey acting differently and would hopefully set her mind at ease. She just says again that he thinks that she's crazy, but he says that he doesn't. He then asks if she can still do that thing with her eyes. He says if she can, then she's definitely not crazy. She then demonstrates, rolling her eyes repeatedly and aimlessly, which causes them both to laugh. That was wild. Yeah, it was. I was like, are you okay? (laughs) I think I can do that. I... I'm not going to demonstrate yeah. right now. Like, you're looking at me funny. Because that's horrifying. Well, but it's just looking around wildly. Yeah, but it looked like her eyes were like, I don't know, like they're vibrating or some yeah. shit. Like, it, I was, was like, it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I think we can all admit it was awesome. Right. I will it say, was. <laughs> I expected this to be a moment where he says it to her later and she's like, what do you mean, Matthew? Or yes. something like that. Yeah. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> this is just a little treat for yeah. us. <laughs> I even made a note because I was like, well, this is definitely going to come up later. For sure. But he just tells her, he's like, okay, well, then you're definitely not crazy. Yeah. yeah. But this is the end of it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I did read that this was added on the day and it was something that she could do, the actress. It, it very uh, much okay. felt like 
it was something she something weird that she could do, and they were like, "Oh, we're putting this in." Yeah. Like that's what it felt like, like when somebody can draw, and then they want them to draw exactly. the movie. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> exactly. Like, sure, why not? <laughs> we'll never talk about it yeah. again. <laughs> but, but for me, it, it like makes like such a sweet moment between the two of them. It does because it's like something he knows about her. That's what I'm telling you. I I really like them. Jeffrey's just he's just ruining it for me. <laughs> to get him, break up with him. But she tells him that he's a great cook. And when he learns that Jeffrey told her not to wait up for him, he offers Elizabeth more wine. But he is walking those city streets the next morning and he goes into his dry cleaners. There he meets Mrs. Tang, played by R. Wong, who accepts his shirt and prints off a ticket. She tells him that he's wrong about it being a coffee stain on his shirt. And he just laughs, saying that he personally put it there. (laughs) It's like it was a test. But as he walks off, Mr. Tang, played by Wood Roy, calls him over, asking if he's a doctor. Matthew says that he isn't, that he's a civil servant with the Department of Public Health, but he asks if he needs a doctor. I did laugh because when he said his job title, he was like, I sell propane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> propane accessories. That's how he sounded. He's very proud it's of like, it. Okay. He did. He did. <laughs> okay, he Matthew. He did it, dude. <laughs> But Mr. Tang just tells him that his wife is sick, that she's wrong. Matthew asks if she's not right, but Mr. Tang just says that that's not his wife. Wouldn't that scare the shit out of you after what Elizabeth just said last night? Absolutely. Whatever it is, it's spreading like butt cheeks. I don't know what's (laughs) happening, but... It's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) This this dude... Something's horrible. (laughs) Well, you, well, I'm taking it he's been coming here for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. know him. Yeah, mm-hmm. they got a relationship. And this dude's like, hey, that's not my wife. Yeah. Well, you know his wife. If he's telling you that, something's fucking and wrong. And Elizabeth uh-huh. just said, or, that's not Jeffrey. She shit. said the no. exact same yeah. thing. He's like, hmm, she usually recognizes the coffee stand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something's that not right. That was yeah, weird. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> but he says that she's different and repeats, that's not my wife, before walking away. Mrs. Tang stares at Matthew through the hanging plastic dry cleaning bags and just walks to the back. Can I have my shirts back, please? <laughs> yeah, no shit. You're do something weird with them. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't feel comfortable anymore. The husband like had such a desperation about him. Yes. that it was really, really sad to me. Yeah, I and I think that the thing is is that. Every time that it's offered that someone is not who they claim to be, yeah. they do something that looks very strange. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. other person. So it's like, you're really, I'm inclined to believe him because <laughs> I've never seen you do shit like right. that. You're not helping that face. You. <laughs> but Matthew heads to work, though, stopping next to a garbage truck, and it's compacting material that looks like a lot of dust bunnies. I, there is a thing, I forget what it's called, but it's like, maybe it's pareidolia or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's where you see human faces and objects. Yeah. Okay. And I saw a human face in those dust bunnies, but I didn't know how to feel about that. I mean, that's creepy. I didn't look at them like that. I wonder if it was intentional though. That's kind of. Right, yeah. right. And we'll talk. Okay. Yeah. Later about that. But Matthew then crosses through the park and greets Harry, who sits on a bench playing his banjo. He smiles at Matthew as Matthew pets his dog. But once he's in his office, Matthew immediately phones Elizabeth at home. We see a leaf fall from one of the plants in their little greenhouse, which feels pretty ominous. Very much so. 
We also see, I think it's like a deserted. Was that where we see like her deserted breakfast that's half eaten? Yeah, I was wondering. It's like, well, I guess I wouldn't be hungry either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> but Matthew heads to the elevator in a dark, lonely hallway. And after pressing the call button, a hand reaches for his shoulder. Getting the absolute shit scared out of him, he turns to find a very upset Elizabeth. He asks if she's okay, but when he reaches for her, she jerks herself away. He asks her to talk to him, but she hesitates for a moment before just collapsing into his arms, sobbing. He holds her concerned as the camera pans to a nearby stairwell, then sweeps down the hall, pressing in on a custodian who buffs the floor, but is shrouded in shadows. This custodian is Michael Chapman, the cinematographer in a cameo. Oh, that's All cool. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because yeah. you were just laughing and wiggling your eyes in the last scene, and now you're devastated. Well, she didn't finish her breakfast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say um, I do love their use of shadows in this film. Right. Yeah. They talked about trying to capture this film noir vibe. Okay. And I feel like it really works for what they're doing. Even though, I mean, there's no, like, detective element. Really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you love to see it. Well, Matthew does have the Loomis coat. He does. Oh, so that's the representation. The evil is gone. <laughs> <laughs> but in Matthew's car, we see through his shattered windshield as Elizabeth tells him that she keeps seeing random people who seem to recognize each other, like they're passing around some secret. You got to get that windshield fixed. Well, yeah. yeah. First of all. That's illegal. Secondly, <laughs> why wouldn't you immediately say what happened at the laundromat? Mr. I mean, yeah. the only thing I can think of is he's trying not to freak her out, but maybe we should be freaked out. Like, that is a huge proposition from mm. both her and the guy at the laundromat. Yeah. We should be scared. Like, yeah. we should be scared. I think they my, don't know each other. They did not cook this up. And they're like, let's fuck with Matthew. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's horrifying. This is, as you're saying, and if you were to tell Elizabeth this, wouldn't it be validating? Yeah. Wouldn't, a thousand, yeah, a thousand percent. Make her feel a little bit better? Because she has said a few times, you think I'm crazy, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, because so-and-so said the same thing. You know what I mean? Then we're like, all right. Yeah. Now we're- Makes now, me feel better. Yeah. yeah. We're going somewhere with this. But he doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> she says that it's some kind of conspiracy, but Matthew says that it can't be. Elizabeth insists that something is happening, something that scares her. She says she tried to see Jeffrey earlier at his office, where he always is at this time of day. Well, we flash back to that moment, and she tries the door, but it's locked, and all the lights in the hall are off in his building. She retreats to a window where outside she sees Jeffrey walking with someone who appears to be a nurse. She leaves the building to follow them and through a chain link fence, she sees Jeffrey meeting with several other people who pass objects between each other and leave in different pairs from how they arrived. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like choreographed <laughs> dance. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she's just in plain sight, fucking oh, following yeah. them yeah. and watching everything. That kills me because it's like, if you look slightly to your left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that your wife? Oh, what? shit. What? <laughs> what? But Matthew asks if she knew any of the people there, but she didn't. Matthew, ignoring the whole exchange of random objects thing, posits that they were possibly patients of Jeffrey's. He's basically like, they were probably planning a surprise party. Like, yeah. <laughs> that level of naivete. He's like, was Jeffrey looking in their mouths, Elizabeth? Yeah. <laughs> was it in his I office? 
<laughs> were the gifts small toothbrushes <laughs> with Colgate toothpaste? <laughs> Maybe it was an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> I this that's in all fairness we we talk shit about Jeffrey and talk Matthew up a lot. Yeah, that's, that's not, not fucking good. okay, yeah, no. dude, at all. That's not a good look. For you Matthew. know whether you want to believe it or not. There's something fucking weird going on. Oh yeah. Whether you can explain it away scientifically or not, there's something fucking weird going on. Mm-hmm. So don't be little. And then I think ultimately he's like, you should still talk to my yes, friends. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. But would would that make you feel a little better that I'm that you know I'm not cheating? I'm just being weird with other people are doing something. I mean, I guess, but now I'm worried in a whole different in way. a different <laughs> way. <laughs> but obviously, Elizabeth says that they were not his patients. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, I don't know if we're friends anymore, dude. <laughs> Drop me off. <laughs> But she says that she followed him all over town and just watched as he kept meeting with strange people and exchanging objects. We see in another flashback with an exchange taking place at the bottom of an escalator as Elizabeth watches from the top in full view. (laughs) (laughs) She's bold. Yeah. But she says that she felt terrible spying on him, but she can't talk to him. So she had no other choice. As you said, Matthew once again suggests his friend, David Kipner. (laughs) But Elizabeth repeats that she does not need a psychiatrist. Matthew says not to think of it that way. Just think of him as a very intelligent man. He says it's actually a book party. David Kibner is a celebrity. He's very famous and she'll like him if she forgets about his profession. Elizabeth just tells him that she grew up in this city and has lived here her entire life, but it feels like everything has changed. In tight, frantic shots, we see her walking through crowds, everyone appearing to notice her, people even staring at her from the windows of a nearby bus. That, for me, was particularly disturbing because with my anxiety, it feels like that sometimes. Oh, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. actually feels that way. Like you're the center of attention? Yeah, and that people are like, ugh, like looking at you, like... Your every move? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) I did not like that part at all. That is one thing on commentary. They said that if they... He said, if we're doing our job right... We're selling the paranoia of these moments and making the ordinary appear unordinary. Oh, they did. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it is moments like this because it's literally, if you really think about it outside the context of this film, she's walking down the street. Yes. There's people on a bus. Yeah. But it's fucking unsettling. It's, It's unnerving. Yeah. But she says it's like the whole city changed overnight. Matthew tries to cut the tension with a joke only for Elizabeth to realize that it's one he's already told her, but they laugh about it anyway. It's like, ah, these kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I'm still a little mad about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you should see David Kibner. Yeah. <laughs> I was serious. <laughs> but he asks if he can tell her the joke again anyway, but before he can, he screeches to a stop as a man, played by Kevin McCarthy, throws himself onto the hood of their car. He was in Twilight Zone movie. He was, and you pointed it out, and we yeah, were like, holy we were like, oh shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he is. That's a good eye. That is. I watched that movie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kind of blow your minds, or at least I hope to in a second, with something else that this man was in. Ooh. Mm. So hold on to your socks. <laughs> <laughs> but the man screams at them to listen to him and says, they're coming. He bangs on the driver's side window, telling them that they're next and that it's something terrible. 
They hear a distant shriek as the man yells that they're already here. That's three. Yes. That's three completely unrelated incidents of these people saying weird fucking shit. Yes. Matthew's like, have you heard of my friend David (laughs) Kinder? He's just getting business for this dude. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. He's he's got a business card. (laughs) That's what that kind of was annoying me a little bit too was, yeah, you're sitting here being very nice to Elizabeth and whatever, but every time she's telling you something, it's, nah, you just need to talk to my homeboy. Well, no, 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 it's not like that, <laughs> but let him talk to you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like, Matthew, come yeah, on. It's like, you know, if we're going to be together, you got to believe what I say. Because, yes. <laughs> yeah. This isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to make it through this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, Lynn Sear from Sixth Sense. Yeah, we're it's not like, going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but our little family <laughs> not doing too good. <laughs> But this is where I kind of had my mind blown because, you know, I told you that Kaufman met with Don Siegel, the original film's director. Right. Mm -hmm. When he met with Don Siegel, there was another person that was on the lot who came into the meeting as well. It was this actor, Kevin McCarthy, Mm -hmm. who played the lead in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Really? Holy shit. (laughs) Okay. Yes. And the thing is, is that this film... And spoiler alert for 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. This film ends with Miles Bennell, Kevin McCarthy's character, yeah, rushing down a busy street, knocking car windows, telling them <gasps> they're here. Oh, okay. That is so nice. fucking cool. <laughs> All that right. is really cool. So the film was originally supposed to end with that moment, but then they put in something later with the FBI being like, oh, well, we'll handle this or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because they couldn't have too sad of an ending, I guess. <laughs> but, it's like everything's going to be okay, <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah. Don't Calm worry. Calm down. <laughs> but if, they, if you have it there where they originally wanted to end it, which they had said we had ideas that the studio changed, it would have ended on that moment of him doing exactly this. That is okay. so cool. Nice. That's so cool. I was like kind of mind blown. Yeah. And it kind of changes. This is why I said it recontextualizes. Yeah. Because you're like, well, this is a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Right. But, but is it though? Kaufman said, if you imagine that he's because the first film took place in the small town of Santa Mira. He says, imagine he's been running for 20 years trying to tell people about this. Ah, okay. And he's here now. Yeah. And he's warning our new protagonist. All right. So it's maybe a sequel. Someone should have listened, (laughs) man. (laughs) And it's about to get worse. Yeah, it is. Of course. (laughs) Because the man runs away. But Matthew and Elizabeth watch as a crowd of people chases after him. Matthew Matthew goes, huh, he must have done something. (laughs) Say what? <laughs> Matthew! He's like, are those his patients? Yeah. <laughs> but Elizabeth gasps when they hear a speeding vehicle collide with the man down an adjacent street. A policeman speeds by, possibly the one that Matthew saw a couple nights ago, and parks at the site of the accident where a crowd is gathered. Matthew brings the car around, and as they pass the spectators, they see the man's bleeding body face down in the road. Elizabeth is shaken, and Matthew says that he'll phone in a witness report to the police when they get to the bookstore. The bookstore? So he's like, I'm taking you there? Yeah. <laughs> You're meeting right David Kipner. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's, there's no negotiating. <laughs> That's absurd. <laughs> but at the bookstore, among a crowd of people, Matthew and Elizabeth bump into Jack Belichick, played by the one and only Jeff Goldblum. 
Yeah. This film just got a thousand percent yes. better. His the energy he brings to everything. Yeah. It just improves it. Yeah. Jack asks if they can have dinner later, but Matthew is obviously very distracted by what just happened and just asks where the phone is. After Jack directs them to one, Matthew introduces him to Elizabeth, to which Jack asks, The Elizabeth? Aww. Yeah. He talks about her, man. That's sweet as fuck. It is. JP is not. (laughs) (laughs) He's still mad. He's not feeling it. I'm I'm just not going to allow this if <laughs> Dewey was not allowed to have a lemon square. You're consistent. Oh, no, yeah. I, you, you, I will not give this woman a pass uh-huh. to go cheat on her alien husband <laughs> or not right husband or like, let's call it fiance like or whatever. <laughs> and then you're okay with this fool just being nice and eating a lemon square. He wasn't going to be being, with that lady. Being nice. He wasn't going to hook up with that girl. You're He's really married to Gail. Pa- you're really painting shit out. You want to <laughs> innocently, sweetly eating uh, lemon uh, square. Dewey didn't do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he really didn't. He didn't. She did. She made treats for everyone. Please continue with your script. <laughs> Gail, Gail took one. And she said they were garbage. Well, that's her opinion. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let Dewey taste. Yeah, let's you're see how it is. Don't, oh, no. don't you fucking right. look no. at me. <laughs> you're, you're, turning, you you're turning red. <laughs> you wouldn't like me when she's angry. <laughs> but after Jack asks if she's the Elizabeth, Matthew just smiles, and Jack follows them, openly talking shit about Kibner's book, calling it garbage. It's <laughs> <laughs> like this dude. <laughs> You know where you are, right? Yeah. Like, this is the party for that These are all his fans, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But an outraged woman, played by Rose Kaufman, the director's wife. Oh, cool. All right. I love when they do that. She interrupts Jack, and they get into a mild spat about the book. Jack saying Kibner spits these out every six months when it takes him six months to write one line sometimes. When she's asking him why, he's like, because I think about every fucking word. <laughs> Is this Stephen King versus George R.R. or what? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> this preluded. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's at that moment that Jack remembers that he wasn't even talking to her in the first place. <laughs> <That made me laughs> laugh. And he just bails. It's like, why am I even engaging? Yeah, it's, it's Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum. Oh, of course, yeah. always. But you love to see it. But Matthew finally reaches a phone, calling in the location of the accident and providing a witness report. Jack, actually very annoyed with the conversation he just had, follows Matthew over, repeating the words of the woman he just got into the spat with. Matthew tells Jack to just ignore people and that he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. That's a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. But Jack continues going off as Matthew describes the events preceding the accident. Jack even jokingly grabs the phone saying, hello, officer, (laughs) which is (laughs) a bit much, but it's good. But he also tells Matthew to never give his name to the cops, which comes up later very importantly. Mm -hmm. There's also, I thought this was interesting. They called it out on commentary. Mm -hmm. Right next to the phone is like a funhouse mirror. Okay. And if you think about it, it's distorting their images to others. Huh. Interesting. But Elizabeth wanders away when she hears Catherine, played by Layla Goldoni, screaming, he's not my husband. He's an imposter. Four. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. four now. Yes, it's adding up. 
Through the crowd, though, she sees Catherine is being comforted by Dr. David Kibner, played by Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I And they said that this is so against type because we think of Le- Leonard Nimoy, you think of Spock and you think of logic. You think. Yeah. Of, right. But this dude, he's he's on some shit of his own. I, yeah. I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts and opinions yes. on this guy right <laughs> yeah. here. I will say I did see in an interview that Kaufman before they were even considering body snatchers. He was working on a star Trek movie. Oh shit. And it was kind of low budgeted, but I mean, when you think about like star Wars and everything, yeah. but it was actually going into production, but it fell apart because of star Wars. Huh? There was a studio that was going to do star Trek, but for some reason, all the chatter coming out of star Wars while they were in production was nothing but shit. That it was horrible, wow. that they were having all these problems, that it wasn't going to make any money. And so the studio head told Kaufman, he goes, look, there's no future in sci-fi. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we know how Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I've Star Wars? It's very but niche. I think I've, yeah, I yeah. think I've heard of that. <laughs> that is wild. Follow your dreams and don't let people yes. tell you fucking, like, that's crazy. Yeah, and plus at this time, how long it was, was Star Trek on the TV already I think it was, I think it was off, uh, they had had the television show. Yeah. So then how the hell are you going to say it wasn't? I have no idea. <laughs> what? A lot like people of, watch that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of studio heads say a lot of things. It's nuts, man. <laughs> I also want to point out that Leonard Nimoy, also on The Simpsons. That's true. He was. <laughs> His job is done. Yes. His job's done. <laughs> the thing is, is it was through that Star Trek project because Spock was going to be the lead of it. Okay. That's how he met Leonard Nimoy. Ah, right. And then cast him in this. Very cool. Sometimes failure is good. It yeah. can open oh, up yeah. the door. Um, also, Layla Goldoni was in John Cassavetes' Shadows in 1959, mm-hmm. which was one of Kaufman's favorite films. And so... That is so cool. Okay. Getting to have both. It's pretty nice. cool. Nice. But Dr. Kibner tells Catherine that her husband is her husband. Catherine rests her head on his chest, saying that her husband had a scar on the back of his neck, and when his hair is long, you can't see it. But when he went to have a haircut today and he came back... Elizabeth's like, the scar was gone? Catherine, <laughs> Catherine goes, no, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> and Kibner's like, yeah, see, that's your husband. See, this this comes up in the novel as well, and I believe in the original film, but it doesn't prove the point that they're trying to make. I'm very confused yeah. by why she's trying to bring it up. Yeah, it's not doing what you think no. it's doing. No. And honestly, whenever it happened when Elizabeth was behind him and she suddenly backed away, yeah. I thought she saw like like a pod on the back of his neck sucking away or something. <laughs> like the brain and she's slugs. like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't see anything. And then this lady is saying that the scar is still there. But see, that I feel like that would have been better because if she was like, no, yeah, it's gone, then maybe she felt yeah. something and she was like, that's not the way your yeah. head feels, dude. Exactly. And that's but, why it sets her off here. Yeah. But it doesn't. Yeah. That's so pretty like, weird. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really strange. Weird. But I mean, Catherine seems to think it's scarier that he does look exactly the same, which is eerie in its mean, own way. It yeah. is scary. It is. But then don't bring up, don't bring up the scar at all. Yeah. The scar has yeah, no nothing shit. to do with anything. Yeah. It's very funny because she's like, and by, and also to prove my point, the scar, Kibner's like, yeah, d- yeah. That's your husband. You, that's your fucking husband. <laughs> <laughs> but Elizabeth tries to interject but is stopped by Kibner. Ted Hindley, Catherine's husband, played by Tom Luddy, walks up to them, and Catherine tries to get away from him. 
this it's it's not funny but it was kind of funny to me that she's doing this while he's at the party yeah, <laughs> yeah i was surprised like i she, figured she left him at home and they <laughs> came here to get out to talk to him but it's like no they came here together yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes to get a drink of water she's like kipner <laughs> that's not him <laughs> but kipner stops her asking her to trust him Matthew is still trying to get through to the police while Jack waxes poetic behind him, asking where all the great writers are. After listing several names, Matthew asks, where's Elizabeth? Kibner takes Catherine's and Ted's hands, holding them together as Catherine calms down a little, admitting that holding his hand isn't so bad. He hugs the both of them, setting up an appointment for the three of them tomorrow. But Elizabeth watches as everyone gathered around looks on emotionless, just like Jeffrey. Catherine seems to notice it too, but is led away with Ted by Kibner. But Matthew gets off the phone, completely in disbelief that the police don't want to hear about the accident. Jack says it's a big conspiracy. Matthew asks, what's a conspiracy? And Jack just says, everything. He's not wrong. No, yeah. I mean, He's not wrong. I did laugh a little bit as Kibner's trying to get through to Catherine with Ted there. Yeah. Because Elizabeth is trying to break in and say a ton of stuff. And he's like, you be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's very, it's very important what she's trying to say. But he's like, I got this. <laughs> Someone can please listen to her. Yeah, well, what he knows, he's like, look, no, 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 no. None yeah. Of that. No, no, no. Yeah. We don't, we don't need, you. we don't yeah. need you to chime in. But Elizabeth follows Catherine to the front of the store, and out of earshot of Ted, she tells her that she believes everything she's saying. She gives Catherine her name and says to call her at the health department. She's like being too loud to yeah. me. Even I'm like, with, Shh, yeah, be quiet. Party chatter isn't as loud as no, you think it is. No, yeah. it never is. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, Ted catches up to his wife, and they leave the bookstore. Elizabeth catches up with Matthew, saying that that man is not Catherine's husband and that she saw him earlier with Jeffrey. At this moment, Ted turns around to stare at the both of them. You know, like someone who wasn't actually Ted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth says that nobody is helping Catherine, but Kibner overhears, saying that's not true and someone is helping her. Matthew is like, oh, I'm glad you heard that. Yeah. yeah. He says that. No, Matthew. <laughs> and once again, you're talking entirely too loud. Yes. yes. And the fact that the first interaction you have with this dude is him being like, no, 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 none of this is happening. I don't trust you. No. Yeah. I don't trust you at no. all. But Matthew formally introduces Kibner to Elizabeth. And Kibner says that he's been hearing this all week. And Matthew suggests that they go outside to talk about it. All week. I don't care how skeptical you are. Yeah. That's a fucking weird complaint. There's something yeah. There's something to that. Something's going on. Jack goes to leave with them, but Kibner tells him of a woman that was interested in his writing and would love to talk to him about it, so Jack stays behind. Why don't you want Jack to come? Kibner's just a dick, I it think. Was yeah. It was <laughs> weird. It's like, not so fast, Jack. Like, yeah. It was like, yeah. no, not you. We got this. Yeah. Well, he thinks about what he writes first. That's true. Right. <laughs> so I want to talk to him about it, too. Yeah. yeah. He's like, Kipner's just been shitting these out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you. But as they cross the street outside, Kibner explains that he's heard the exact same story from six patients this week. Six? Yeah. With the four that we've heard, that's ten. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is too far. But Elizabeth says that that's not what she's talking about. She says it has nothing to do with the man that she lives with. Kibner says that it's all about the culture of people stepping out of relationships because they don't want the responsibility, remarking that the whole family unit has been shot to hell. 
objection relevant. What? <laughs> that Precisely. has nothing, that, yeah. that no. nothing, has nothing to do with anything. Nothing at Shut all. Shut the to fuck do. up. I'm like, no. oh, God. this is why you're shitting out books because you're talking out of your ass. That has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't. It really doesn't. But Matthew stands up for Elizabeth, telling Kibner that he's not listening to her at all. Kibner tells Matthew to stay out of it and tells Elizabeth that that's exactly the point. Matthew doesn't think he's listening, but he is. And why does he think that? Uh, this is a great friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I told her you were cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, what and the fuck? The first thing you do. Yeah. But Shut the fuck up, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> but Kibner posits that the reason that Matthew does think that is because Matthew doesn't expect him to bother enough to care. So we're getting into some pop psychology bullshit, which it only gets worse from here. But I I did read something that'll come up later that really does fit in with the themes of this film pretty well mm-hmm. that goes hand in hand with some of the ideas in pop psychology. Okay. Especially of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. But Jack finally joins the group, and out of fucking nowhere, Kibner grabs him by the jacket and slams him against the wall, screaming that for the last time, he wants him to stop. He wants him to stand still, be quiet, and shut up. Jack is beyond confused. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck? What I just, just walked over here. Yeah, I'm sorry, Doc, but you're fixing to take a seat. <laughs> like, no, we're not. You're not doing all that. <laughs> you're going to need a hospital, yeah. Doc. <laughs> <laughs> but Matthew pulls Jack away and into a nearby store. It's very funny because you hear him in the background. Jack goes, why in the store? He's a nut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me laugh. I don't know. It's Jeff Goldblum, man. He, yeah. just, he didn't have to do him like that. No. Whether you're trying to prove a point or not, yeah. not, this man does not even know what y'all are talking about. He just rocked up. Yeah. Unbelievable. But Kibner immediately returns to Elizabeth, asking her how she feels about what he just did. This is giving like Brad Goodman vibes from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I what feel, I feel like. like. But he says that she was probably shocked and she probably wanted to shut her feelings off so she didn't have to deal with it. I get exactly where he's coming from, but it's a bullshit explanation. Oh, yeah. He's trying and it does make sense if you are seeing it from that way. But it's also totally wrong. It's so Mm-mm. stupid. Like <laughs> yeah. It does not apply to what is happening no, at all. Not at all. I will say, though, and this is very important because there's a certain point where this changes. But one thing you could say about Kibner in that moment, he was full of emotion. He was. All right. So we'll, we'll talk. But Elizabeth counters that she wants to deal with what that woman was saying in the bookstore, admitting that she identifies with her. Kibner whisks her away, telling her all about the backstory between Catherine and Ted, breaking all kinds of confidentiality. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let me tell you the tea. Yeah. <laughs> they got a lot of problems. That's the one thing you can't do yeah. if you're a fucking psychiatrist. But in the convenience store, Jack is still confused, wondering what Kibner treating Elizabeth has to do with throwing him up against the wall. And it's a fantastic question. Mm-hmm. Very fair point. But Matthew just asks him to go home and says that he'll call him later, which Jack agrees to do. Matthew then catches up with Elizabeth and Kibner. Kibner tells her that she's jumping to a bizarre conclusion, that Jeffrey has been replaced by someone else when it's more likely that she's wanting to believe he's changed because she's looking for an excuse to leave him. Okay, maybe if Elizabeth was the only person that is saying this. Yep. 
And for him to assume that everybody is going through this exact same thing. Yeah. Catherine and Ted, same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other five people, same thing. Same thing. Yeah. But after taking a genuine moment for herself, Elizabeth admits that she doesn't know. But Kibner simply asks her to think about it before she destroys her relationship and Elizabeth agrees to do so. I love that Matthew's watching the whole time with a side eye. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? <laughs> but Matthew lets Elizabeth back into the car before stepping out to thank Kibner for his help. But Kibner calls what he did a psychological band-aid, saying that she should talk to him some more, even offering to set up an appointment for her the following day. He does say that it's like some kind of hallucinatory flu going around. But thankfully, he says people seem to get over it in a day or two. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. It's <laughs> exactly what's going on. He's like, yeah. they get over everything. Yeah. It's kind of weird. They don't really seem to care about anything. <laughs> but Matthew asks if she's going to be okay. And Kibner says a good night's sleep will help. But he laughs when Matthew asks if it's contagious. Kibner took that to mean that Matthew was going to try to make it sweet with Elizabeth tonight, but he really just wants to know if it's something that the health department should know about. <laughs> it's like, God. Because yeah. <laughs> Kibner's like, oh, dear boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, take her home to her boyfriend. Hey, you old fucker <laughs> laughing off the- I'm being serious. What the hell? Just, should I be worried? Yeah. We yeah. were just in the car together. You beat up my other friend, <laughs> yeah. and then you <laughs> lay this shit on me. <laughs> But Kibner says that he honestly doesn't know if it's something that the health department should know about, but he reiterates for Matthew to take her home to her boyfriend. After they get in the car and leave, Kibner walks over to a dumpster and leans against it, and inside the dumpster is a lot of dusty debris. What? Interesting. <laughs> I see where you're going with this, but I think that I I don't think I put that together. No? Because I now I don't know if we can talk about it yet, but I I think something different. Now the dusty debris is something different from the other thing. Okay. And I'm being very vague and I apologize, but it will it will all become clear. Okay. Yeah. Because there's one moment that it just all and you understand the entire process. Yeah. I I picked up on it, but I was like, what? It's got to mean something. Yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely, because you keep seeing it. Yeah. And then even I think when I really started picking up was when Matthew was leaving the dry cleaners. And he stopped by that garbage truck and it's full. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're like, okay. well, what the fuck is okay. that? And then it all. Yeah. I think this is here when I noticed okay. it. And I was like, what the fuck? Keeps coming. Yeah. But elsewhere, Jack walks into the Belichick Mudbath Spa where he's greeted by Nancy, his wife, played by Veronica Cartwright. I have to call out Veronica Cartwright because what a fucking career she had. Yeah. yeah. Has. She, 15 years before this, she was Kathy Brenner in The Birds. Oh yeah. shit. Then one year after this, she is Lambert in Alien. <laughs> oh my god, nice, you're right. Yeah. yeah. You know who else she is? What's that? She's Richard Jenkins' wife in The Witches of Eastwick. Hell okay. yeah. Dude. Yeah. Good for her. Hell yeah, dude. And she's like, great. Oh, she really yeah. is. But Nancy asks how the book party went, but instead of answering, Jack pulls Kibner's book out of his jacket. Nancy asks if that's Kibner's new one, and Jack just throws it to the ground. Oh, very sad. He's like, that dude beat me up yeah. <laughs> after the party. He bested me professionally <laughs> and then he kicked my ass. <laughs> I, didn't even do, I didn't even do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but Nancy then apologizes to him when she finds out that he didn't get to read his poetry at the event. But as Nancy gets a phone call, he silently grabs a towel and heads into the spa. Jack sits down, a tear rolling down his cheek, 
but he's interrupted from his own wallowing when Stan, a customer played by Stan Ritchie, asks for help out of the mud bath. Can't you see I'm trying to cry in here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. It's a bit much. Yeah. I did enjoy this because from when he grabs the towel and heads inside all the way to him sitting down and a tear rolling down. Yeah. It's one long take. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, man, and he called it out on commentary, Kaufman. And he's like, whenever we hit this point is when Goldblum needs to have a tear coming down. So when he sits down and we get to him, it's already rolled. Yeah. And I'm like, God damn. The timing. That's impressive. Yeah. Nice. And I, so these mud baths, what do they do again? Or what is, what's the point of this? I think it's, uh, I would say cosmetic and therapeutic. Yeah. Well, my note was the way I would get zero work done if this was my business. <laughs> I would be in those fucking baths. <laughs> someone well, I mean, someone I, walks in for an appointment. You're like, I'm back here. <laughs> I just hop in the next yeah, one. Just there. go ahead and sit down. <laughs> leave the money on the counter. Well, I've always heard about like mud baths and shit, but I don't like what like I don't know what the point of it is. Like, I, I I really don't either. I've I've seen them a lot on The Simpsons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always that is like five Simpsons. Yeah. Jeff- I know. No. <laughs> references in this episode it was actually low for a podmortem episode <laughs> fair enough but they're always seen as something super relaxing yeah okay so i mean maybe we'll have to find out someday I- i'll volunteer yeah. to- <laughs> i'll find out guys <laughs> i Don't can you worry about it. <laughs> but jack just closes the dividing curtain but nancy rushes in to help stan as he slips and slides in the mud she takes him over to the showers, annoyed that the same thing happens every week and telling him that he needs to learn to be more patient. Mr. Gianni, a man in another mud bath played by David Fisher, sits reading Emmanuel Velikovsky's World in Collision. Interesting. Hmm. I did also want to call out, they said on commentary that Fisher is a psychologist Mm -hmm. who helped Kaufman with some of the finer points of this. Very cool. Uh. Even more interesting, he's Kaufman's Uh. (laughs) brother-in-law. But classical music plays as Nancy gives Stan a massage in another booth. Stan, of course, complains about the music, but Nancy says that it's good for the plants. They have feelings, just like people do, and this type of music stimulates their growth. Really? Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know if we want to like be stimulating the growth of plants right now, but you know, Nancy, <laughs> right. go off. This dude is an <laughs> asshole. Off. Oh, he is. Any, I cannot like. Please don't go to a public place and be like, "Can you change the music? Yeah. Can you turn the AC down?" Like, you're here for like two hours people, max. Yes. Please well, stop. She was giving him like a slap massage. She so was. Sometimes she was, that's what she you was need. just beating the shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's what she should have done. Yes. <laughs> I did want to say, and I know it'll come up again later, but the idea of the plants having feelings reminds me of another film. The happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the argument continues as we see Mr. Gianni's silhouette walk slowly past the closed curtain of the massage booth. And I do want to say all of these curtains are green. Mm-hmm. Ah, another interesting thing but jack heads to the sauna for a bit of relaxation as nancy cleans up the mud baths but she bumps into a fully dressed mr gianni who is seated behind a curtain he tells her that the book he's reading is a must but just stares at her emotionlessly when she suggests a book that she enjoys she guides him to the exit as he compliments her intelligence but just before she closes the door behind them, she thanks him for the plant that he brought her the last time he was in. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
I do love suspicious. Yeah. It's very funny to me. The idea of that gift, like everyone delivering one as a means of (laughs) continuing this. I've brought you a plant. It's like, thank you. This is the fourth one this week. Thank you. But the shot lingers on the door as curtains sway eerily and we hear an unearthly hiss. But Matthew pulls up to Elizabeth's house and offers to walk her inside, but she says that he doesn't have to. She heads inside alone, seemingly, and finds a plant waiting for her. (laughs) Again. (laughs) (laughs) On the plant, though, is a pod as plain as day, front and center. But there's also a card that says for you on it. And guess which one she notices first. Right. She takes the card. The card. (laughs) It's the card. (laughs) Yes. She calls out to Jeffrey while she's holding it, but he doesn't answer. Instead, Matthew steps into the frame. I did not. I thought he was gone. So seeing him, I was like, what the fuck? It kind of scared me. (laughs) But he loudly calls out for Jeffrey, which makes Elizabeth laugh. Seeing her in good spirits, he bids her goodbye and she walks him to the door. They then look at each other a bit hungrily. They're in love. They're in love. Just leave your man. What what was the point (laughs) in him calling out? to jeffrey for i think because he fact, was gonna be like jeffrey good good morrow or whatever i don't know i no, think no he wasn't <laughs> he was gonna pay him respect he was pissing mm. on the floor yeah that's <laughs> what he was doing <laughs> hey yo jeff he's like hey, hey, hey what jeff. are you doing yeah. maybe what the a little fuck? bit he's like i won't even use your full name yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she thanks him for his help and says that she'll think about what kibner told her but the camera pulls back to reveal jeffrey <laughs> in a nearby room uh, his back against the wall, listening to everyone. I, kn- I knew he was going to yeah. be skulking somewhere. I knew he was. <laughs> but back at the mud baths, Nancy calls out for Jack. She walks into one of the booths and sees a body covered by a sheet. Assuming it's Jack, she removes the sheet, but instead of her husband, she sees a man's body covered head to toe in what appears to be a glossy, thinly veined webbing. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. This was such a jump. Yes. I was floored. Oh, yeah. She's like, we don't do that treatment here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she screams wildly for her husband, who finally appears and is immediately shocked to see the body on the table. I was really upset because I thought that that was him. And oh. so I was like, that's all the Jeff Goldblum we get. Yeah. But he's he's OK, guys. Thankfully. Yeah, he's OK. But Nancy rushes him out and he realizes oddly that his nose is bleeding. That's what's important right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say it's very funny later because he has a tissue in his nostril. Yes. And then he doesn't have a tissue in his nostril. <laughs> and then he has a tissue in his nostril. <laughs> <laughs> but back at the house, Elizabeth brings the plant upstairs, the camera focusing on the pod. Elizabeth appearing a little uneasy. And as my niece would say, her lips appear kind of chappy. They are chappy. They are chappy. But Matthew arrives at the spa and Nancy rushes him inside and over to the door to the mud baths. Jack, with a tissue up his nose, asks Matthew, as a friend, if you're supposed to report certain things to the health department, like a contagious disease or a dead body in a place of business. Matthew asks if they found a dead body and Nancy says that she thought it was Jack. They head to the booth and when Matthew pulls the blanket off the body, he assumes that it's a joke at first, but they assure him that it isn't. He inspects the body, noting that it's definitely an adult, but Jack notes that there are no details to it. It's got all the parts of a person, but it's unformed. That's scary as fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Where and where did it come from? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> 
Nancy says that they should call the police, but with his previous attempts still in mind, Matthew tells her not to. But after discovering the body has no fingerprints, Matthew compares it to an infant. It's very funny because when he's checking the breathing, she's like, don't touch it. You don't know where it's been. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow. she's not wrong. It's but got it's weird funny. shit on it. It's, yeah. I mean, I would be scared too. Yeah. But Matthew looks up to Jack and asks him, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Jack answers him, 6'4", 170. But looking back at the body, Nancy grows increasingly distraught. And this is when Matthew decides to phone Elizabeth. The phone rings on Elizabeth's nightstand, and her tired hand knocks the phone off the receiver. The camera pans over to reveal the side of her face, which appears rough and scaly. I don't think she can come to the phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's like, can I take a message? Or? <laughs> Jeffrey does snatch the phone away from her and listens to Matthew calling out for Elizabeth for a moment before hanging up. Matthew immediately snaps into action at the spa, telling Jack and Nancy that he's going to go check on Elizabeth, but giving them the instruction to phone Kibner and have him meet them here. Can we call any any other anybody else? He's like, I got any th- other doctor? <laughs> any nope. fucking, fucking anyone? Please. He's like, I got three friends in the city. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But after Matthew leaves, Jack complains of exhaustion and says that he's very parched. He actually points to his throat and he goes, I'm dry. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very funny to me. (laughs) But through his cracked windshield, Matthew speeds to Elizabeth's townhouse and sirens wail around him. Back at the spa, though, Nancy tells Jack that Kibner is on his way and he lies down to get some rest. There's a very neat shot of this as he does because with the web-covered body in the background and him in the foreground, mm-hmm. it's just a very neat little composition. I loved yeah. that. But Nancy turns to leave, but instead walks over to look at the body one more time. As she peers into its face, its eyes slowly open. Nancy screams loudly and rushes over to Jack to wake him up. As soon as she says, its eyes, we see its eyes close, which is... Oh, hell no. Yeah. That's just rude. <laughs> like, nope. No. But they go over together and see that its eyes are closed, but they do see blood draining from its nostril, just like Jack. Ooh. (laughs) That's too much. Mm -hmm. As Jack leans over to get a better look, a bit of the webbing reaches out to him, almost making contact with his arm. But Nancy pulls him away just in time. They run away, but right into the path of a very unimpressed looking Kibner. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't trust him one bit fair like from the second that you meet him yeah. i'm mad at him well he enters the scene kind of douchey yeah a little rough yeah but matthew finally makes it to elizabeth's house parking out front he tries the front door and when he finds that it's locked he knocks on it after getting no answer he looks through the window to find jeffrey parked in his chair right in front of the television wearing headphones why do I feel like there's nothing on the TV? <laughs> <laughs> we find out what's on the TV in a second. And it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> but Matthew sneaks around the side of the house, smashing a window open and breaking in. Jeffrey seems to maybe hear something, but disregards it. Matthew then creeps upstairs, though, followed by odd camera angles before making his way past Jeffrey, who is watching clocks on the television. <laughs> What the fuck? Time, man. It's crazy. It's a flat circle from what I hear. It's what passes its entertainment. (laughs) But Matthew heads up to the second floor, and once there, the music swells as he discovers what appears to be Elizabeth lying in the greenhouse, naked and covered in webbing. No nipples, though. 
Yeah, I put, oh my God, they took your nipples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they're like the fingerprints. They're like, we don't, <laughs> we don't yeah, need them. Not. <laughs> not yet, not yet. I did want to call out Denny Zeitlin. Okay. He's the composer of this film. And I was very surprised to learn that this is the only film he ever scored. Wow. Is there a reason or? Kaufman said on commentary that I guess they're old friends. Uh-huh. And I think that Zeitlin is, I think he said he's a psychologist. Ah. But I guess that the hours he put into scoring this film, he said never again. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Well, the score fits perfectly, though. Yeah, so if this is the only thing you've ever done. You killed yeah. it. Yeah. I thought uh, the way even this scene plays out, there's that synthy rumble. Uh-huh. And then it swells when he sees Elizabeth because that's what he's feeling. It's like it is. It's brilliant. Yeah. I would have loved for him to do more. But Matthew looks over, though, to find the real Elizabeth passed out in bed. He tries to wake her up, but scatters as soon as he hears Jeffrey coming up the stairs. Jeffrey walks over to the bed and <laughs> uh, okay, I'll say it's a great shot what we see. <laughs> but Matthew is shown hiding in the closet and in the shadows he appears <laughs> quite villainous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was <laughs> It's a great sh- it doesn't fit Matthew. <laughs> it's an yeah. odd choice. But it's it's a great shot. That would have honestly worked better for Jeffrey. Yeah. But he looked like he's evil. <laughs> but through a mirror Matthew watches as Jeffrey approaches Elizabeth, checking her eyes, heartbeat, and breathing. He then leaves the room, and Matthew rushes out of the closet, scooping up Elizabeth and walking cautiously down the stairs behind Jeffrey. Just as soon as they're out of sight, Jeffrey heads back upstairs. I was like, fuck, he's going to know right away. (laughs) Matthew leaves the way that he entered, placing Elizabeth into his car and speeding away. As he does... And we learn more what this means later, but Jeffrey screams very loudly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it did make me laugh. <laughs> but back at the spa, Kibner says that there's no sign of anybody at all. And he says that he looked everywhere. Jack is incensed and he starts ripping his way through the booths. David asks about the body's vitals and Nancy says that it even opened its eyes. Kibner's like, and you saw that? All condescendingly. I... <sighs> somebody whip his ass yeah (laughs) someone jack says that the body had white hair that reached out and touched his hand but kibner doesn't seem to believe it they reach the mud baths and jack says that there's something in one of them he reaches inside recounting how an old customer once died in this one and sank to the bottom but nancy's like hey cut that out (laughs) (laughs) trying to run a business here that doesn't need to get out As he searches around through the mud, Kibner tells him that it was probably a friend playing a practical joke. When Jack says that he doesn't have any friends, Kibner says, it was probably an enemy. If you don't get the fuck (laughs) (laughs) out of my spa. So you did it. I I hate him. I hate him. He's kind of, that does sound like he's telling on himself. Yeah. It's like maybe an enemy did it. It's like, why are your fingers tinted like that? (laughs) Maybe someone threw you up against the fucking wall. (laughs) But Nancy then notices that the spa window is open, and through it, she sees a garbage truck outside, compacting a dusty heap of refuse. Once again, this is time number three Mm -hmm. that these garbage trucks have played a role. But Matthew holds Elizabeth close as he continues down the road, and she finally starts to wake up. They arrive at the spa, and Jack tells Matthew that the body has disappeared, with Kibner never having seen it. Matthew immediately reaches for the phone and Kibner asks dickishly, who are we waking up now, Matthew? 
get get out. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my. You are God. no help. He's Mm-mm. so fucking frustrating and condescending, mm-hmm. and clearly hindering us doing anything yes oh my god i i can't stand him plus two people are saying the same thing yes i could i could understand if maybe his wife was like i he said he's seen it i didn't yeah see it. no mm-hmm. we both, we saw both it. yeah and matthew did too yeah apparently it's not enough nope one thing i did want to make mention of though is kibner was asleep Oh, all right. Fair enough. It still conflicts with what <laughs> yeah. I think, but, but you're probably really? right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can talk about it yet. Okay, we'll but talk yes. about it. Okay. But Matthew phones the police reporting the body. The garbage truck continues its dusty business while Matthew instructs Nancy to take Elizabeth to his apartment while he heads out with Jack and Kibner. There is a bit of not so great editing, a choice here, because we get a shot of them driving what's clearly the early morning dawn. Yeah. And then we cut to the next scene, which is back to pitch black night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sun does crazy things. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, no, not yet. Oh, sorry, sorry, like- sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I will say the editing otherwise in the film is great. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe the editor of this film won an Oscar a few years later. Oh, wow. But Matthew leads a few police officers right into Elizabeth's home with Jeffrey standing right out on the porch. He calmly asks Matthew, where's Elizabeth? Like he wasn't just screaming up a storm. I, <laughs> <laughs> I am like, he's already gotten rid of it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, clearly. Because he's just a year too chill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's too much. Inside, in an absolutely fucked up joke, Matthew leads everyone to the greenhouse where they find pots on the ground arranged to look like a person (laughs) stop (laughs) now and uh, this was a little (laughs) too far to me because there's a pot that looks like a face yeah (laughs) and then there's there's two smaller pots that are meant to be your boobs (laughs) (laughs) we got titty pots yeah and just imagining jeffrey's ass setting that up is fucking (laughs) ridiculous and it reminded me of the faculty with the resuscitation Annie moment. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like it's so close, even involving the cops. But Matthew tells the detective played by Tom Dahlgren that he promises there was a woman there who was an exact duplicate of Elizabeth Driscoll. Kibner sits down on the bed, appearing incredibly disappointed. Oh my God. <laughs> every, every time he breathes, I'm mad. <laughs> like he's so frustrating. Yeah. And then I get angrier in a second. Yes. The detective says that Elizabeth is a missing woman and asks Matthew where she is. Kibner says Elizabeth is okay and she's at Matthew's house. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> Matthew goes, Don't tell them that. Yeah. What? He's like, Guys, it's fine. You can find her. Oh, I was so mad. Follow us back. Just follow Why us. Why do we keep trusting him with our secrets? I don't no. know. I don't know. But the detective is relieved, saying that there is no one missing then. Matthew says that there is, but Kibner goes, no, no, there isn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> this doctor is for the streets. This is not your friend. <laughs> this is where the confusion begins, though. Jeffrey says that Matthew took Elizabeth, and the detective is like, all right. So you broke in, took Elizabeth Driscoll out of the greenhouse. Matthew's like, no. <laughs> He says, I took her from her bed. Her other body was in the greenhouse. Kibner steps up, trying to explain everything away, and is lucky that the detective's wife is a big fan of his books. Kibner says that Matthew has been going through a lot, and he thinks it's something that he can handle with his own psychiatric expertise. 
He's like, I'm just going to grab him and push him against the wall. <laughs> Heard it with Team Sword. Yeah, everything yeah. will be better. <laughs> the detective allows this and walks over to Jeffrey, saying that he should probably file unlawful entry charges against Matthew. Matthew, however, pulls Kibner aside like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> But Gibner says that he believes him, but they can't solve anything here right now and should just go outside and figure out a plan. Jeffrey declines filing those charges, taking Kibner's word that everything will be all right, but he asks Matthew if Elizabeth is going to be coming home. Matthew says that she isn't and that he has to pick up some of her clothes, which Jeffrey allows. Jeffrey then, after they leave the room, shares a knowing look with the detective. I'm sick of this shit, man. (laughs) So nobody's safe. No. No. But the next morning at Matthew's apartment, Kibner goes over everything again. They saw a body at the baths. Nancy saw its eyes open. Jack saw its nose bleed. So it must have been alive. He also makes note of the fact that they all touched the body. Matthew tells him that he's looking at it as if the body was human, but it wasn't. He says that the one at the spa was like Jack, but it was nowhere near as developed as the one at Elizabeth's house. He says that it was duplicating her. Elizabeth says that if Matthew hadn't have rescued her, the same thing that's happened to Jeffrey would have happened to her. Kibner wants to know what she thinks is happening, and she says that people are being duplicated, and once it happens, you become part of this thing. Kibner is on board with the idea of bodies being moved or walking away, but the idea of them being duplicates of actual people is what he can't accept. I will say I understand his skepticism, but you've known Matthew for forever. Yeah. Even if you don't like Jack or whatever. Yeah. And by proxy, I guess his wife. (laughs) (laughs) You should at least believe your friend. Right. You would think. But Elizabeth understands that it sounds insane, but she says that they're not making it up. Matthew sneaks outside for some reason, but the rest of the group goes in on Kibner, taking verbal chunks out of his ass. But he says that they woke him up in the middle of the night and all he's trying to do is help. Nancy is fuming, and as Jack holds her, he very sarcastically apologizes for waking him up for this. For real? Just fuck you, dude. Somebody has got to be smart enough to realize we're not getting anywhere with him, so maybe you should just go home and go back to sleep. Honestly. (laughs) And we'll figure the rest of it out. Since it's so important. Yeah, Yeah. cut him out. I will say that that is the third time it's been mentioned that Kibner was was sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) So it's clearly very important. Yeah. Just go back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But Kibner walks outside where Matthew tells him that what they're saying is the truth. And he doesn't know how, but he's going to fight it. Surprisingly, Kibner once again says that he does believe Matthew. He's known him too long not to, but he asks what he wants him to do. Matthew says to get official support so that they can use the health department to institute the same measures they would for an epidemic. Kibner asks what he can do personally, and Matthew says with all the bureaucracy in the way, he somehow knows that the mayor is a patient of Kibner's and asks if he would get him to accept a phone call from him. He shouldn't know that the mayor (laughs) is a patient of Kibner's. (laughs) This guy sucks, dude. (laughs) Kibner says that he will, and to get in touch if he comes up with anything else. Matthew thanks him and leaves. The camera then follows Kibner down the stairs to his car, where Jeffrey and Ted are waiting. Before driving off, he tells them, the sooner, the better. (laughs) Just waiting in the car. (laughs) No shame. No shame. Okay, so it's clear now that he's one of them. Yes. 
I felt like he was one of them since the first time. Not one of them, but that he was in on it. Really? Since we met him. Yeah. No, no one is like, no, 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 this isn't related. I mean, Matthew's doing it, but <laughs> he's like, I don't think he even fully believes it. I think he's trying to rationalize it. The fact that he's like, I've seen six people that are all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. This woman is crying and pleading to you. And another woman's like, me too, me too. And you're like, no, you guys are just breaking up a lot. <laughs> like marriage is falling apart. No, no one. Like no one. If if that's really what you think, you don't deserve your license. Have you met David Kipner? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. From the from literally the first scene that he's in, I was like, oh, he's helping. Because he does show emotion. But I was like, he's helping. I was sure that he was helping them. I hate him. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even notice the emotion because after it happened, he was just like, so how do you feel? So I was like, were you acting that up or were you? I was like, what the fuck? Because he is very odd. He is. So and then it's constantly explaining shit away. Mm -hmm. It's always constant, just explaining it away. So I it just made me not. Like to think that that he was already taken, you know, to what not I mean? trust him, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's obvious what the intention is. The fact that he was like, "I was asleep, I was asleep." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, okay, we get but, it. Yes, we. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're not involved, you're just a dick. Like, I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Let me explain something that I did read that kind of made it make a little more sense to me. Okay. There was a critic named Christopher Schultz, and he wrote about this film, I think, in 2015. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the pop psychology boom of the 1970s. And he said that the way that they kind of did everything in that is that it was a one-size-fits-all kind of a situation, which honestly kind of makes sense with this film period, because that's what we'll explain later that we're kind of working towards. But he said that pop psychology was kind of putting the method as the priority and not the individual. Right. <laughs> Which makes sense because if he's like, oh, well, this is the problem. Everybody's experiencing yeah. it. Yeah. So that could just be that Dr. Kibner is 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 ill-informed. He's a yeah. bad, bad he's a bad, doctor. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, well, it's almost like uh, people compare pop psychology to like Dr. Phil modern day. Really? Yeah, where he's it's just I can see that. Yeah, yeah everything's up everything's like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so if that's who Kibner is, then that kind of makes sense. I also did appreciate the idea of pop psychology being used as a form of like commentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To say that you're not prioritizing the individual. Yeah. Which Right. I mean. Yeah. But that's where I was like, okay. And then when it came up that he was like, Well, I was asleep. I was like, Okay, well then all, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's all starting to make sense. But while sniffing one of the pod flowers, Jack and Nancy discuss what they saw in the baths. But Elizabeth notices what Jack is holding in his hand and asks him where he got it. He points over to a bouquet of flowers resting in a vase, which reminds Elizabeth of the flowers that Jeffrey gave her. And Nancy remembers the flowers given to her by Mr. Gianni. It's all coming together. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth promptly tells him to put it down. He very reluctantly does after being told twice more. Elizabeth says she couldn't identify what those flowers even are and has noticed them growing like parasites all over the plants around the city, which again reminds me of another film where plants kind of... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Nancy posits that they could be from outer space, but Jack won't hear any of that. And it's very funny to me that her... Her first guess yeah, is right. Is right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nancy's plugged in. <laughs> 
She says that everyone expects metal ships, but why not a flower? Jack replies that he never expected metal ships, but this sparks an idea in Elizabeth that they could be getting into them through touch or through fragrance, and Nancy says that they'd never even notice. We eat junk and we breathe junk. She's not wrong, but Jack, you know what the fuck she means. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I don't expect, shut the fuck up. Matthew listens from the other room as Elizabeth says that their best bet is to take these flowers to the lab and analyze them. Nancy, growing more excited, says that this is exactly how it happened thousands of years ago when spacemen landed on Earth to mate with the monkeys to create the human race. Nancy. Nancy. Wow. (laughs) I want to point out, um, (laughs) we had a discussion on last month's Talk Mortem where we said that there are people that believe in conspiracy theories. Yeah. But then they lose you with shit like this. They, they yeah, go a step too far. And you're like, God damn it. Because you had me with the plants. Yeah. Now this whole space alien <laughs> caveman orgy situation. I don't know what the fuck's going on. But she says that it's happening now. And Matthew just looks at her perplexed. But in his office later, Matthew tries to call Kibner. But when he doesn't get through, he calls the deputy city attorney played by Philip Kaufman, the director. Very cool. (laughs) He asks Matthew if this is another call about imposters, and Matthew says that it is. The deputy city attorney then asks if this is the first agency that Matthew has called, and when he learns that it is, he's like, good, good. That's not weird. (laughs) It's very weird. (laughs) And Matthew's like, no, no one knows. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No one else knows. I promise. (laughs) I was a Boy Scout or whatever. (laughs) Stop. He then tells Matthew to stay right where he is, by the phone, so someone can call him back and take down everything he knows, which is not suspicious at all. Not no. at all. Matthew agrees to do this, but he also sees random people walking around outside the building, a lot like the strange exchanges Elizabeth described earlier. Now, on commentary, they said these people walking by was completely unstaged. And so what they've done here is the paranoia of the film has been sold so well that they can just have people walking outside. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck. That's what's so scary because I know that it was like the goo and stuff at the beginning. But if you remove that from it, these are just innocuous shots yeah. of, you know, water and yeah. plants. But in this context, people walking down the street is scary. Somehow. You know, so that is masterful that's i think that that's just effective of with everything they've done yeah. oh yeah i'm just a little disappointed in matthew because you're smarter than <laughs> i have to believe you're smarter than He's this like, yes sir <laughs> <laughs> right by the phone you said you, you got, got a bus, bus. <laughs> what but in the lab bacardo gives elizabeth a hard time about wanting to test the flowers trying to tell her about her own job but she shuts that shit down The camera swoops around them as Elizabeth says that this is something that's affecting people and she offers to do all the testing herself. A very emotionless Picardo tells her that she's been consistently late and behind on her work, so he'll do it. But it'll take 48 hours. No. No. No interference. No. You run the test. Don't let anybody else get in the... I you, I can't trust anyone at this point. Oh, not at all. No, no. After what you've seen, after the potential everything conspiracy yeah. that's going on no mm-hmm. i will test them and don't be talking about me being late either mind your own business <laughs> yeah what the fuck <laughs> you were supposed to clock me in motherfucker yeah. <laughs> i thought we were friends 
But she asks for 24 hours instead, and he peers at the pod through a magnifying glass, and he says that he can't understand why she'd become so emotional over a little flower. (laughs) You're just getting madder and madder. I'm upset. But back in his office, Matthew receives a call from Ted Jessup, the mayor's special assistant. After confirming his story, Jessup suggests that they meet in Union Square in person, as it wouldn't be wise to talk over the phone. Matthew agrees, and we immediately cut to him at the meeting. I was like, oh shit! Yeah. Very (laughs) fast. The man's face isn't shown, but he tells Matthew to meet him again tomorrow and to not tell anyone, which Matthew agrees to do. Now, this doesn't come up again ever. Yeah. No! I was very confused by this because there's a possibility that I guess maybe Ted Jessup is still Ted Jessup. And he maybe noticed something too, because why else would this meeting even happen? I don't yeah. know. I'm just very confused by this whole thing. Yeah. I'd... And the fact that we don't get to see the meeting. Either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. I guess that's it. But Matthew then walks to a phone booth and he kind of gets into it with the operator. It's very fucking funny because the operator's like, please deposit 15 cents. And he's like, now I just put in yeah. a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> But the call finally connects, and he reaches Judy Hinkle, another special assistant to the mayor. Over shots of Matthew making his way through the crowded city, Judy tells him that the mayor is currently in a meeting, but she says that Dr. Kibner spoke to the mayor personally, expressing his concerns, but she asks for Matthew's discretion. Through more swirling shots of the city, Matthew receives another call in the phone booth from a representative of the Federal Preparedness Agency. Now, the Federal Preparedness Agency doesn't exist by this name anymore. In 1979, which was the year after it was absorbed into FEMA. Oh, oh all right. So this is like a snapshot in time. Just a little history lesson. <laughs> Very nice. good. But the representative is like, so you've never tested anything or gotten any samples. When Matthew says that he hasn't, the guy tells him that it sounds like he's winging his conclusion and to also not tell anyone about the bodies or anything. <laughs> All right, all right. The, it's the gaslighting yeah. for me. Yeah, this is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody's gonna help. No, yeah. and don't be talking about this to anybody either. <laughs> well, it's like what? I I understand the whole. Have you done testing or what? But I mean, there's a group of us who've seen this. Uh huh. We all are experiencing the same thing. I'm not crazy. Right. Please, yeah, somebody no. help. Don't tell anybody now. Uh, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. They want him mind. to doubt himself yeah. and keep it to himself. Like, it, it's horrible. It's awful. And even worse, after he tells him not to tell anyone, he hangs up on him. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> and you're an asshole. Cool. Awesome. But the camera continues swirling around as Matthew receives other calls, some calling him paranoid, others doubting his story altogether. But one man's voice says that the horizon is looking bright and that people are returning to normal. Matthew then visits the dry cleaners where Mr. Tang tells him that his wife is much better now. She slinks into frame behind him as he smiles and repeats, much better now. Matthew backs out of the shop. Oh, yeah. yeah. His wife's like, I'm feeling much better now. <laughs> no, but, so they got you too. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. I, I did. I thought this was a lot in this sequence and it really sells the madness of the situation. Yeah. But I will say that it could have been shrunk down a little bit. I think that all these calls, it was a yeah. lot. And it's very funny that he's getting all these calls. Like they're calling him in the payphone. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know really how payphones work like that. Well, but off mic, we were talking about how it feels a bit long. Uh huh. Um, and we were like, well, where would you cut? 
I guess we found somewhere. I guess that oh, yeah. Even keep, if it's just a minute or two. Yeah, keep the laundromat part, though, because that was chilling. No, yeah. I did like seeing it reach the top of government, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, that was like five fucking yeah. phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will, though. I, I remember when I didn't have like my cell phone would be off mm-hmm. i would use the payphone at the corner store and there's a number on there where you can call that motherfucker back no shit hell yeah i guess you i never just thought gotta about wait it. you don't you, remember yeah. better call Saul? oh yeah and rosemary's baby yeah yeah you just gotta wait that's I'm the only in thing better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> like we've never we weren't alive in no. time as a phone booth <laughs> remember that one movie TV show yeah. slash TV show. Well, you said Rosemary's Baby. Oh well, we're we're on it's whatever. No. <laughs> I thought you meant phone booth. Oh yeah, Colin Farrell. Oh yeah, yeah. Colin, Colin Farrell. <laughs> but back at the lab, though, Elizabeth visits with Catherine, the woman from the book party. Mm-hmm. She says that she wanted everyone to see that she's back to herself again and that she's okay. But Elizabeth looks very suspicious, asking her to wait a moment as she turns to leave. So they got you too. Yeah, yeah. clearly. Catherine doesn't wait, though, but says, I'll see you soon. I hope. I hope not. Yeah. (laughs) Why? I would not like that at all. No. Matthew then arrives on the scene for a very brief moment, and Elizabeth shoots him a concerned look. This is a very odd cut. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was just... uh, You remember... Remember on Django Unchained when Django's like fucking shooting at the snowman and yeah. then Dr. King Schultz like comes out of nowhere and he's like, that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, where the fuck was he? Like, that's this. <laughs> it's like, is he a, has he been a ghost this whole film? That's how it feels. <laughs> but that night, the group reconvenes in Matthew's apartment with the lights out and a fire burning. Jack attempts to tune the radio to the news, but nothing is coming through on any station. Nancy notices a repair truck outside, hoping that that explains it. Now, there's something very cool they talked about on commentary. Ben Burt is part of the sound department on this film. Mm -hmm. He's credited as special sound effects designer. And what he did at this moment is throughout the film, you hear various organic noises. Yeah. Dogs barking, that kind of a thing. But as the movie goes on, those sounds are kind of drowned out. And you hear more mechanical noises. Huh. Okay. And so that's what we're hearing here is the sound of this machinery. Right. And you will not hear like animals. Well, there's going to be one animal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about not that in a so bit. Fast. <laughs> we'll get to that soon. But they had said that Ben Bird had like an encyclopedic knowledge of sounds from other films. Damn. Uh, Kaufman said that he would, you could play like a door closing in a, in a film mm-hmm. and he'd be like, oh, that's uh, Warner Brothers 1937. Oh, like fucking wow. Like that. And it's yeah. like, how the fuck did, it's, it's unbelievable. But Matthew heads to his bedroom to find Elizabeth lying in bed. In an odd cut, Kipner is there. Yeah. <laughs> Who keeps letting this motherfucker in? I have no idea. I was furious. Yeah. But he hands her a pill and he sits down next to her. I also forgot to mention, he's wearing like a leather. Yeah. I was going to say your leather's poking out. Meaning <laughs> yeah. You need to cover that. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that's for, but it's never explained. I thought that once he became pod person, he would right. lose it. No. Yeah. Because it would like cure whatever was wrong. I yeah, read yeah. somewhere no. that it Leonard Nimoy knew a guy who wore one of those to cover a burn on his hand. Oh. And he thought it was interesting. So it was his idea to have 
Kibner do it. So All just right. that simple? Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that is what I read. I thought he was like Hawkeye or something. So. <laughs> or that, you know, or that. On the side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Elizabeth takes the pill and Matthew watches as Jack and Nancy lie down together on the couch. Kibner says that the pill is just something to help her sleep. And tomorrow she'll be good as new. I was like, new? Yeah. I'm like, please hold that pill under your tongue yeah. don't take that mm-hmm. fucking pill why are we why is he in the house i don't know we haven't <laughs> well they don't they didn't see the car scene yeah. i don't care <laughs> but kibner offers the belichicks a ride home but thankfully they decline yeah i was like do not get yeah. in the car with him <laughs> but matthew tells them that they can stay here and it, it was a very sweet moment because nancy was genuinely thankful yeah, yeah. and i was like oh but before Kibner leaves, he tells Matthew to get some sleep. <laughs> we'll explain. <laughs> but Matthew heads outside, closing and locking his gate with a padlock. You guys ever notice that Chili's an alien? <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean, like, you guys ever think maybe he's one of them? Yeah. yeah. Anybody else get that vibe? He's been acting very... <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah. They, and after all they've seen... Yes. I yeah. mean... But Matthew sits outside where he and Elizabeth had dinner together a few nights ago. He fights it for a moment, but eventually falls asleep. On the ground, we see a collection of thin white hairs slithering across the grass, eventually reaching around his hanging arm and grasping it. It reminded me of the branches from the Evil Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it was photographed the same way and probably reversed. Yeah. But it's then revealed that the vines are spilling out of the mouth of a massive pod about the size of a human being. Matthew's eyes roll back white as a large pink flower blooms from it, and at the center of the petals appears a pulsing organic mass. The petals wilt, and from the pod is birthed something slimy, webbed, and human-adjacent. Leathery flowers bloom as the pod body wriggles in the grass, Matthew still asleep and unaware. So this is gross as fuck. Yes! I uh, wanted to call out one of the guys who worked on the makeup and special effects. Mm-hmm. It's this guy, Tom Berman, who we've talked about before because he did work on Halloween 3. Oh, shit. My Bloody Valentine. And probably most importantly, 57 episodes of Nip Tuck. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but time passes. And when we see Matthew again, the skin on his cheek has become flaked much like Elizabeth's earlier, and his pod body appears more and more like him. Even worse, more pod bodies have begun to develop and appear to be duplicates of Elizabeth and possibly Jack and Nancy. The sound is a, a baby's heartbeat, yeah. like an ultrasound. Is it really? That's literally what that is. Yeah, yeah. that was the first thing I was like, that's just an ultrasound. I was ultrasound. like, oh my God. Yeah, it's the... <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Well, here it's eerie, I guess. It's scary. No, it is. I mean, it it's is still scary. Is, yeah. I, I didn't even know to think that. Yeah. That's even... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little freaked out exactly. right now. Exactly. <laughs> but Nancy steps outside, standing in horror of what's happening right in Matthew's backyard. She screams for him to wake up, but his eyes roll back white. And when he finally stirs... He surveys the pod bodies writhing around covered in webbing. He jumps out of the chair, telling Nancy to wake the others before following her up the stairs. Nancy wakes Elizabeth, screaming that there are pods outside and that they form when you're asleep. So this to me is kind of an allegory for, and I know the word has been like weaponized like sarcastically and Mm -hmm. shit, but this is the message here seems to be stay woke. 
Like fucking wake yeah. up, yeah. Don't go to sleep, yeah. and it's it, it's a bigger thing than just falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pay attention to what's around you, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And I think that it attacking them while they're asleep only fits in. Yeah, yeah. okay. I mean, they didn't know stay woke back then, but it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the concept, right? Because I know it's kind of become a lot of politicians are saying it's like as something negative, yeah. right? Right. But it's very positive, of course. But Matthew, for whatever reason. <laughs> Tries to call the police again. <laughs> Ever the optimist. I, this dude. <laughs> he reports that there are four bodies outside. I don't know why he's still believing in the system. Yeah. Or why he thinks he's, even if the cops were cops, why these bodies would still be here when they get here. After, oh, yeah. It happened already. <laughs> you already did yeah. this. But without giving his name, a woman on the other end says, wait right there, Mr. Bennell. Hang up the phone. Yeah. Absolutely. Do an Instagram live. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no hang up the phone though. yes jack tells him to hang up and matthew is confused for some reason but nancy says that they're all part of it they're all pods yeah this goes all the way to the top there is no one to call no yeah this is when i'm like this is fucking scary yeah you're on your the own concept of it and visually this mm-hmm. is disturbing mm-hmm. but matthew then has a plan to call a friend that he has in the justice department Just call him directly at home to bypass all the nonsense from the San Francisco operator. Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. Stop. Still trying. uh. Still. Still. Elizabeth stares out the window in horror at the pod people and the group realizes that their power has been cut. Outside, the police have barricaded the street and a group of people run toward their location. On the other end of the phone, the San Francisco operator asks Mr. Bennell how they can direct his call. Oh, my God. <laughs> they don't even give a shit. Nope. No. It's very funny to me because I don't know if it's the line delivery, but Matthew goes, but but I was calling direct. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we heard that. <laughs> Jack just tells him to hang up again and asks if Matthew has a gun. Matthew says that he doesn't, but tells the group that they need to leave. Would a gun even help? Not, we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Really, we don't know. But as soon as they do leave, the telephone starts ringing again, and Matthew tells the group that he'll catch up with them later. <laughs> He's like, Jeez. I got to take this. He's really, this really dependent on the phone. But Matthew looks over at the nearly developed pod people. He grabs a gardening tool and goes to bash the face of the Elizabeth duplicate, but can't bring himself to do it. He stands over his double, nearly completed, and after a moment of hesitation, caves its face in bloody. He's like, is that what I look like? <laughs> no, I was surprised that there was blood inside. Yeah. I, it's more more fully formed. Yeah. yeah. There is a moment in the original where this exact thing happens, uh-huh. but he attacks the pod with a pitchfork. Okay. He even has the same moment of hesitation between the two and everything. So to me, that that's kind of indicative of the relationship between the original and this one. Yeah. Is that it is the same like DNA, no pun intended. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it kind of just takes everything to the next level. Mm-hmm. You start in a small town. We're starting in San Francisco. Right. Yeah. You know, just everything is on like dialed up to 10. Yeah. I, uh, I do want to say I am glad that in the name of science, he busted that thing's head open. Yeah. Because we need to know what's we gotta going know on. What's yeah. I, uh, let's dissect it. Yeah. Honestly. You know what I mean? Take let's, it to the lab. Yeah. yeah. See Y'all what's have going a lab. On. Oh, no, we're not taking that motherfucker. Nowhere. We're <laughs> no, cutting take, them open take right the here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> no, right here. Yeah, we don't need him yeah, getting no. wise in the backseat or something. <laughs> 
But dozens of pod people overlook this gory display from Matthew's apartment, loudly shrieking to alert their kind to the human in their midst. Matthew runs away, catching up with the group with various pod people in pursuit. Now, that shriek is something that was added for this film. Oh, okay. The shrieks are terrifying. They yeah. are. It was never anything that was in the original or anything. Really? I, I think that it works so well because it kind of, I know that they're all like human-esque. Yeah. But it makes it feel more horror. Oh, no, yeah. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. They said that the sound was uh, like a pig squeal with like a bunch of other random shit. God, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. You know, I hear yeah. they oh. love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I heard. You've heard such things. <laughs> but after a dramatically scored getaway, the group hides under a set of stairs, allowing the pod people to believe that they're continuing their chase. Yeah, it was a lot of running. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of running. Oh, yeah. But after they're all gone, the group casts long shadows against the buildings of a vacant San Francisco. This was a really neat shot to me. It's very noir. Yeah. But I thought it also kind of played into the idea of doubles. Okay. And that's fair. Interesting. But a policeman on a motorcycle pulls up and watches as they go into a tunnel. We also get a very gorgeous shot of their silhouettes backlit in blue as they walk down this tunnel. But they run alone to a pier only to see dozens of pod people following behind them along with a couple of police officers. They reach a chain link fence and Nancy realizes that they've been cornered. So was climbing not invented yet? Or I mean, <laughs> I know because it's like when you get to the end of a game and it's just like, I can't go that way. Why? I was just like, yeah. oh, we're done. The chain yeah. fits. That was it. They all gave up. Too. It was a little high, but it wasn't that fucking no. high. Yeah. He's got a board with the nail in it. Yeah. It's done. That's it. And there wasn't barbed wire or anything. No. No. It was, just, it was fence. just fence. Yeah. Help, help the ladies first. Get, get over. And then let's go. But no, they just stand there. No. They're like, fuck. <laughs> But even worse than being cornered, Elizabeth spies a fucking helicopter with a searchlight in the sky and urges everyone to get down. So this is Grove Street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've got like a five-star wanted level. Yeah. yeah, this feels very GTA to me. But this is when Jack decides to be a hero. Against Matthew's protests, Jack tells him to keep everyone here and he'll go and get help. So this, to me, was a pretty massive character arc. Yeah. Because he was pretty fucking self-absorbed. Yeah. He was. And he's, like, worried about his own writing and everything, and that's all he's thinking about. But now he's like, how can I save everyone? He's the best of us. He yeah. is. And he's Jeff Goldblum. I'm heartbroken already. <laughs> but he kisses his wife goodbye in the light of the helicopter, and as he runs away, she actually follows him, and they run off into the night together. Jack screams, here I am, you pod bastards. Come and get me, you scum. I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Jack. (laughs) But it provides the perfect distraction, occupying their attention as Matthew and Elizabeth crouch behind the crates. After cuddling a bit in the cool night air, Matthew and Elizabeth walk uniformly through the streets, past unsuspecting pod people, tension rising at every moment as they do their best to fit in with the rest of the crowd. Just act as potty as you can. Yes. Like that's all. That's all. Well, we learned that from Shaun of the Dead. Potty. We learned that from the potty <laughs> with D's, not T's. Right. From the walking dead. Just blend in. Yeah. And it works. And I wonder if they both got the idea from here. Oh, all right. Fair. So would you have to like rub some soot on you or yeah, something? something. Or just, yeah. You just rub plants. Just roll around in the grass. You're like, yeah, we're all ashy as hell. <laughs> yeah, but then you get grass stains on your clothes and that shit's hard to take out. You got to think about true. that. Yeah, fair enough. No, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> we're not rolling in the grass. No, soot it is. 
But step by step, they eventually give themselves away, quickening their pace until they're fully running away from their shrieking pursuers. Again, the entire film, green is everywhere. But during this scene, even the street lamps are green. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. It's so cool looking because they're reflecting on the ground. Yeah. So neat. But they eventually make it downtown where they're able to blend in again. They headed down to Booby Boulevard. That's, yeah. where, they, that's where they ended they up. Is that the official street. <laughs> well, yeah. Name. They're like, you want to see some titties? Yeah. Some titties? And the, the one dude like grabbed him. He did. Yeah. And that that to me made me believe that they're not pod people. Yet. Yeah. Because they're yeah. like, we still love this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, sir, he was aggressive. But they do pass that Barker for the strip joint, who is super pushy trying to get them to come inside and enjoy the show. They pass a few more before finally reaching a cab parked on the side of the street. They tell the taxi driver, played by Don Siegel, who directed the 1956 film, to take them to the airport. Very cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like so awesome to have a cameo. Yeah. But they said that he was very nervous because he's not an actor. Yeah. He's like a very strict director. And the second they were like action, he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I don't like being on this side. Mm-mm. But hilariously, <laughs> the driver radios into headquarters saying that he's taking two passengers to the airport. Type H. He repeats. Type H. Really? Type H. Unless you H. You can let me off here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Unless H stands for hottie. I'm going to need you to pull the yeah. fuck off. I am vexed. Do not be doing that on the radio right in front of yeah. me. No. At full volume. This is your code? Yeah. This is no what you shit. settled on? <laughs> but they don't even ask what the H stands for. They just. We know what the H stands for. But the driver tries to make small talk with them, but they're immediately distracted when they hear the loud engines of two familiar policemen on motorcycles. He, You called it small talk. He's asking too many questions. He is. He's yeah. like, so when are you... Uh? Exactly. <laughs> and you're trying to leave town? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Where are you going? The airport, huh? It's Interesting. Like, and he had to tell him the airport twice. He so did. Like, yeah. um, oh, my God. They're like, type H, headed to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, the policemen speed off right past the taxi. The driver tries to find out why they're going to the airport, and Matthew lies that they're not leaving town. They're meeting someone coming in from Boston. Moments later, they come upon a police barricade where they see people being ripped out of their cars and taken away. That's that. I Oh, fuck. <laughs> now, oh, type H. Oh, yeah. shit. Oh, oh I, I get yeah. it now. <laughs> but the driver stops as the taxi is approached by a policeman with a beaming flashlight. The policeman reaches the taxi driver, who without hesitation says, both of them, and he gestures to the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) But when the cop shines his flashlight over, he finds the back seat empty and the car door swinging. (laughs) (laughs) I I fucking cackled. It's like they freshly killed me. Yeah, no, we just got out. All you needed was the squeaking sound. That's it. Oh, I fucking died. (laughs) But Matthew and Elizabeth take off, hoofing it through the streets of San Francisco, eventually stumbling upon Harry the busker and his dog. Harry is fast asleep, a pod right next to the both of them. Elizabeth very astutely remarks, there's a pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This <laughs> causes Matthew to kick the pod. I mean. <laughs> All right. But when they head into the Department of Health, we see that the pod is leaking blood. So that's very important to note. But I also want to note that when they were running together, they were holding hands. Of course they were. It's very sweet. Yeah. If y'all make it through this, <laughs> this is endgame. Jeffrey is full plant. He's not even, it's not even cheating anymore. He's no, not a human. It's really not. He might as well be dead. Is that right? Oh. 
So I'm, if I'm a plant, you're not going to water me anymore? Just don't go full plant. No <laughs> not water. <laughs> but they make it inside, but catch the eye of that custodian who is just hanging out with his broom. They quickly retreat into a break room for a glass of water, but their moment of recuperation is interrupted by a patrolling security guard. Matthew snags a dart from the dartboard, which I guess is better than nothing, mm-hmm. but he hides under a table with Elizabeth. The guard continues his patrol, his silhouette darkening opaque glass windows, but he comes up empty. Knowing that they're somewhat safe now, Matthew and Elizabeth lock eyes, their faces slowly orbiting closer until they finally share a small, sweet kiss. If y'all make it through this. <laughs> <laughs> this is in-game. This is in-game. I, I've, much like Matthew, I've been waiting the whole film for this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. JP's not on board. I Like I said, I do enjoy the chemistry they have, but I also... I mean, I kind of feel like it didn't even need to be there. Like, I mean, at it's all. Just, yeah. I mean, even if they're friends, you get the same thing. I it mean, did, it's the I same mean, thing. That's, that is true, I guess. I just feel like it adds more impact for things that happen. Okay, then make it his relative or something. I mean, it could be, but that's just not what they did. If I turn into <laughs> a plant, you better not fucking run off with some health department guy. <laughs> specific. <laughs> very specific. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I think that the love, and I guess it does make sense because when you think about the theme of emotion, yeah, a love like that, it kind of feels necessary because mm-hmm. if they're together uh, or right. whatever, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, that, I, that okay. I can. That I can. Whatever. See. Okay. That no, I can <laughs> see that. But I mean, like I said again, I feel like even if they were just friends, even just a little, I'm not gonna fucking leave you, buddy, or uh-huh. or girl, you know, I'm gonna protect you. You're my best friend, or whatever. It's like okay. I don't. I mean, I get the whole love thing, but I feel like even in other movies we've talked about it. There's no need for that. Yeah, there, it's, in, it's, a, in a lot of movies, it feels very forced. I just didn't feel that here. No, they are great together. Yeah, I will say that. But I just feel like it's it was well, I I could have done without. Right. I get that. I I feel like there's something inside of me that's always rooting for couples in movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if like single single people. Well, sure. Yeah. Are you turning into a plant? <laughs> why, why, why are you getting so upset? He's, I feel like he's very, right, very <laughs> particular about this one. <laughs> Did your vows have something about plants right. in it? <laughs> Come to think of it. But amidst bubbling beakers and dripping droppers in the laboratory, Matthew and Elizabeth still lie sleepily under the table, but are startled by the sound of a man's voice on a loudspeaker outside. I said sleepily because they did not fall asleep. Okay. They look outside to see pod doubles directing traffic and organizing different units of pod people with families in different cities all carrying large pods with them to spread the infection further and wider. Seeing this is kind of hilarious. It, yeah, it was because <laughs> they're like, "Look, we're going to streamline this. Get yes. in line." Like it's it's very funny. Yes. It's too organized. Get your pod. Yeah. <laughs> there is a dude on the loudspeaker, and he's like, "If your number ends in zero zero, it's like you've given numbers. Yeah. How did you do this? Oh, that was Efficiency. Fast. Yes. Yeah. Efficiency. Well, I thought they were just a pile of goo. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing." But Elizabeth says that she can't take much more of it, telling Matthew that she can't stay awake much longer, but he tells her that she has to. The phone rings in the other room, but they don't answer it. Instead, they head over to Picardo's desk, where Elizabeth finds his stash of speed pills. Oh. Yeah. I was like, speed speed? Yeah. Well, she's just like, oh, he takes these all the time. It's like, all the time? Yeah. What the fuck? I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm not concerned? Yeah. <laughs> 
the bottle says to take one and this is very funny to me (laughs) (laughs) he goes what does the bottle say she goes to take one he goes take five (laughs) now you're talking my language man it's fucking hilarious five times we have to stay awake they do they do but at this point the phone rings again and they ignore it again elizabeth says that they know that they're here and before they can even formulate a plan Doubles of Jeffrey, Jack, Kibner, and a couple of other men storm into the room. No! (laughs) Not Jack! It's so upsetting. Devastating. Jack tells them that it would have been a lot easier if they had all just stayed asleep the night before. In all fairness, he's kind of right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I guess. Jeffrey seizes Elizabeth as a couple of men grab Matthew, who calls for Kibner to stop this. They beg to be let go, but Kibner readies a syringe as Jack tells them that they never have to leave the city. They can have the same car, the same jobs, the same clothes. But Elizabeth asks what happens to them. Kibner tells them that they'll be born again into an untroubled world, free of anxiety, fear, and hate. Is feeling like that the faculty one thousand percent, and again, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, well, but he says there's no love, there's no it just See, that's sounds, where he loses it's yeah. like this lukewarm beige existence. Uh-huh. That's not, I just feel like Mary Beth Louise Hutchinson sold, sold it better. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, <laughs> she sold it better. She did because she wasn't like, you'll never feel happiness either, no. but. Like, who cares? Well, in yeah. all fairness, he hasn't said that part yet. Well, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> well, you just hate Kibner all I do. Yeah. I don't care what he has to say. But this is when Kibner injects Elizabeth and Matthew shouts that they're killing them. Jack disagrees, telling them that their memories will be absorbed. Everything will remain intact. Kibner readies Matthew's syringe and he's pushed forward, his hand placed on the table. He doesn't even attempt to get away. He just stares Kibner in the face and tells him, David, you're killing me, before he is injected and sat down next to Elizabeth. The rest of the men file out, leaving only Kibner and Jack with them. Kibner tells them that this is just a mild sedative that will help them sleep. A little dramatically and kind of teenagery, Elizabeth goes, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> you're not my real dad. <laughs> Kibner takes it on the chin, telling her that they don't hate them and that there's no need for hate anymore or love. Mm-mm. That's Mm-mm. where you lose me. Yeah, that I kind of like that. It, so I don't want to lose love. No. Yeah. yeah. We all agree love is good. Yeah. Yes. It's a bold statement. <laughs> I was going to say it's a hot take. <laughs> but Elizabeth turns to Matthew and tells him she loves him. Matthew's eyes widen, but he doesn't return her words. I was like, Matthew, tell her, tell her. Yeah. She's going to fall asleep any second. <laughs> He's like, I like you. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a, right. that's a lot. He didn't like, realize. Can I join you guys now? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a commitment. Right. I don't <laughs> but instead, he just tells Kibner that there are people who will fight them. Elizabeth says they'll stop them, but Kibner replies that in an hour, they won't want them to. He checks their eyes, telling them not to be trapped by old concepts. They're evolving into a new life form. He lifts Matthew and Elizabeth to their feet, telling them to come and watch. Guiding them over to the window, Kibner tells them that the aliens came here from a dying world. They drift from planet to planet, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt and survive. Staring down at a pair of pods, Kibner tells them that the function of life is survival. Suddenly, Matthew overpowers Kibner, and Elizabeth grabs a glass bottle and breaks it over Kibner's head. 
fuck him up. I've been waiting for this since the book party. You would have liked it at the book party. I would have yeah. loved it at the book party. Matthew puts Jack in a sleeper, jabbing the dart behind his ear and lowering his dead body to the ground. That I didn't like so much. No. He did die kind of funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> but they lock Kibner in a freezer and slowly creep out of the room. I will say I know he's not Jack anymore. He's Jack's double. Yeah. But that was pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, I guess. For it, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. Know, it was young Jeff Goldblum. But I was going to say, but this is still. 78 Jeff Goldblum. You still want to see more. He's like, uh, okay. You <laughs> 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 need me to uh, die here? Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. He did the, the, the sexy Jurassic Park pose before he died. He's like, oh. That's how he died. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he stayed that way? That's why he said he died funny. Yeah. <laughs> But eyeing a group of huddled pod people, Matthew and Elizabeth make a break for it, and we peer down the stair hole as they make their way toward the ground floor. Stair hole. Yeah. Kibner shrieks violently, banging on the window of the freezer, which gets the attention of those huddled pod people. Matthew and Elizabeth, however, round the corner down the stairs, running right into a stone-faced Nancy. <gasps> Emotion, though, suddenly fills her face as she tells them that she lost Jack. They got separated. I would just burst into tears. Yeah. I know that now is not the time to explain to her what happened. Uh-huh. Because we need to keep moving. We need to get the fuck out of here. But I would just start crying. Yeah. <laughs> she know immediately. But I was so glad that she made it. That she's oh, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But she asks if they've seen Jack. But Matthew quickly changes the subject, asking how she got in here. Who's Jack again? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sobbing. Nancy says that the pod people can be tricked. Don't show any emotion and you can blend in. Act more potty, just, there, like, yeah. just like I said. I feel like she worded it differently. Yeah. No, no, that's what she said. She says that they can travel together and watch over each other as they sleep. She asks again if they can go find Jack, but Matthew's like, anyway, mm. uh, we're going to beat them, right? Yeah. Nancy agrees that they are going to beat them and they leave the Department of Health as a trio. So I did want to say very quickly on commentary, Kaufman kind of set up these two different ideals. Mm -hmm. You look at Kibner and what he's saying as alien Kibner, I guess. Right. That the only purpose of living is survival. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it is all the other things of life. Right. The emotion, the feelings, all the things that kind of make life worth living. Yeah. And so Kaufman said that whenever he decided to do this film... He said that he wanted to have it to where the question was, without emotion, is humanity even worth anything? And that's a really deep question. Yeah, yeah. it is. Because that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I say that we need emotion. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. No, yeah. I would agree. I would agree Another with that. Another bold statement. Hot yeah. take. <laughs> we're in hot take down today. <laughs> Chill out. But the three of them cut right past the police and into lines of pod people being directed into units heading to different cities around California. Everything is going perfect. <laughs> perfect. Until Harry's dog rocks up on their spot. The sound of a banjo plucking, as we see, in a mistaken duplication, the dog's face is Harry's. And he's like... Like, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't need a leg. You didn't need a leg. That was no, too far. It was, but it was, yeah. it was great. But yeah. Why, why was the banjo music playing? I mean, it's in his soul, man. I, yeah. like, I was like, what is his soul? It's part of the banjo, yeah. too. I was like, what? What am I seeing right now? What made me laugh is like, obviously, this dog's wearing a mask. But yeah. 
<laughs> it was Elizabeth's reaction. <laughs> Everybody else was chill, and she's like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like, just undisguised. Right, be cool, be cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot to take no, in. No, it is, it is. I will say in the original film, the thing that gives them away as they're walking, a dog tries to cross the street and almost gets hit by a car. And the Elizabeth counterpart is like, oh, no. Oh. But this is, again, dialed up. But yeah. that's what we got. That's important. That's what, No, you can't forget the lick. Yeah, that is dialed up for sure. Yeah. For sure. But Elizabeth does respond in undisguised disgust. And Matthew rushes her away. But an old woman realizes that they're human and lets out a shriek. <laughs> Without a second thought, Matthew just uppercuts that lady. <laughs> and, and he's so calm. It's yeah. just like, I, we gotta, <laughs> it was like, he's like unbelievable. I'm still a bad person. <laughs> I just got beef with this, this bitch in particular. Because he lays her out. He does. Well, she's screaming. She is. It's about to get real bad. But they run away, leaving Nancy behind. Nancy, much better at blending in, yeah. continues on as several pod people chase Matthew and Elizabeth. Well, I guess Nancy has had to for some hours. Yeah. Her oh, and Jack yeah. got separated. That is true. But she was really like, my name's Paul. This shit's between. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, she, that's the smart thing to do. She's like, did I scream at the dog man? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. Did I uppercut man? an old lady? I don't remember. Do- <laughs> I don't remember doing that either. In the fucking middle of the street. <laughs> I don't remember doing I'll that. I'll take my pod, please. <laughs> Line B. Bet. <laughs> my number ends in zero or whatever. <laughs> But the two of them hop into the back of an open truck, speeding away from their pursuers. But the truck stops in the pier, backing into a loading dock where a pod man on a forklift gets a load of plants ready for a delivery. An entire warehouse handles pods and plants, ready to spread to the rest of the country and possibly the world. They got a goddamn logistics team. Yeah, Yeah. no, they organized very quickly. They got their shit together extremely fast. This may be unpopular. You got to give it to the pod people. That's I mean, no, yeah. they wanted it more. <laughs> the, the only thing they can learn, that nursery was full. And yeah, he I, put that pallet down at the end of the fucking truck yeah. and then left. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to fill the rest of this shit? That's unacceptable. <laughs> Fuck. That goes there. Yeah, that was it. And Just leaves. Yeah. Like, oh, my shift is done. <laughs> I'm clocking out. But Matthew and Elizabeth step out of the truck, walking emotionlessly, watching the pod people at work. They climb down a ladder and Elizabeth busts her ankle. And as soon as she does, she goes, ah! (laughs) It's like, dude, please. please. You already, you blew up our spot five minutes ago. It's like, I should have traveled with Nancy, man. This is, but she's unable to walk. So Matthew carries her, but accidentally falls and drops her behind some shrubbery. She clings to him, crying over the side of the pod factory and he tries to set her mind at ease finally confessing to her that he loves her no i'm crying (laughs) jp's laughing (laughs) (laughs) that sounded like vindictive (laughs) it was (laughs) but they hold each other in tears but the silence of the night is broken by the sound of a bagpipe playing amazing grace Matthew realizes that it's an arriving ship and hope fills his voice as he tells Elizabeth that they can get away. He tells her to stay there and that he'll go down to get their attention. The music grows louder as Matthew cautiously but quickly makes his way to the docks. 
He reaches a chain link fence. He doesn't climb it. <laughs> you can't. Not in yeah. this. Yeah, not in this game. You can't climb them. He hasn't learned that yet. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, <he's> got, <laughs> you gotta, gotta level up. It's, yeah. yeah, it's his skill tree, right? Yeah. <laughs> you spent your skills in the wrong spot. Yeah, that's your fault. But he does stand there in horror as he sees a massive ship loading pallets upon pallets of pods for further duplication. They also turn off the music, which felt like insult injury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, nope. <laughs> but his hopes dashed. Matthew rushes back to where he left Elizabeth. When he gets there, he finds her asleep on the ground. He tries to shake her awake, but to no avail. Her face begins to flake, and he holds her in his arms, lying to her that the ship is here, and it's going to take them away. He rocks her slowly as her skin twitches, growing tighter around her skeleton until her body fully disintegrates in his arms. He cries out mournfully in shock, rising to his feet as just a few feet away, Elizabeth's nude duplicate appears in the bushes, telling him that there's nothing to be afraid of. That's when I was like, oh, the faculty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Precisely. I will say his like mournful cry was pretty hard. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Like that was hard to watch. Yeah. And it honestly, this is a very, very tragic love story. Yeah. And I never thought that whenever I saw it as a kid, because I didn't really get it. Yeah. yeah. But looking back now and watching it as an adult, it's like, man, that is a rare, very very massive component to this right right and it's it i it hurts yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> but she marches toward him slowly saying that they were right it's painless it's good she asks him to sleep reaching out her hand but instead matthew runs away the music grows tense as matthew makes his exit seeking cover under a large vehicle before climbing a ladder and overlooking the plant in pod factory Machines hiss under brightly lit nets as Matthew climbs higher to safety, solid snaking around a ledge and reaching the rafters. <laughs> <laughs> they say, okay, so this warehouse was converted into a pod factory for the film. Okay. <laughs> well, that's obvious. There was a real pod factory. <laughs> that implies that if there's already one there. <laughs> that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> all I wanted to say is that throughout this entire thing, Donald Sutherland is doing his own stunts really god damn. okay they asked him they said do you want a stuntman and he said no okay Donald right. Sutherland. and it's dangerous as fuck i bet it, it looks like it yeah. yeah but up above he finds a fire axe and with quiet precision he grabs it which sets off a loud alarm <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone alerted below he cuts the ropes holding the lights which sends them crashing down into the nets sparks bursting over the plants and setting fire to them fuck it up Blood and pus ooze from immature pods as the factory goes up in flames. Elizabeth walks through the chaotic conflagration, points up to Matthew in the rafters, and shrieks to alert the others. Why was that the scariest shriek? I don't know. In the whole yeah. film. <laughs> it was horrifying. Well, there was some tongue action along with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, all right. Like it was it hurt. I was like, man. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> They rush after him, almost foiling his escape, but he's able to shake them away, sending some falling to the ground below and leaving others to be blasted by exploding flames as he breaks away. So the person that you see blasted with fire, yeah, that was not a stuntman. Oh my God. What the fuck? <laughs> According to Kaufman, it was an extra who didn't follow directions. 
Oh my God. Yeah. He said, stay behind Donald Sutherland. And he's yeah. like, stay behind him? Got it. And he ran right after him and he got blasted <laughs> with fire. Jesus. Yeah. Was he okay? I hope so. He was. Yeah. <laughs> I think they it's said- It's all 1978. Yeah. Is he okay? <laughs> yeah. They, I think they said they took him to the hospital because I think he burned his hands. Ooh. But he, he, I think he was fine. He's kind of lucky that that's yeah. all. Yeah. He, dude, it was a ball of fire. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> But the factory burning in the background, dozens of pod people give chase, but Matthew seeks refuge under the pier. They walk over the pier, still in pursuit, but find solace in the fact that Matthew can't stay awake forever. We then transition from a flashlight to the light of day sometime later. Matthew watches as children are led from school buses into the Civic Auditorium. A voice on the loudspeaker says that they're from various surrounding counties and discuss incoming flights arriving in San Francisco soon. The voice on the speaker also readies units for people with relatives in Bedford, Eugene, Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver to report to City Hall to continue the spread. Matthew watches as trucks filled with pods are being unloaded and delivered into the side entrance of the auditorium and overhears a child from one of the school buses... <laughs> asking his teacher why they have to take a nap now he's not tired <laughs> it's not funny but i laugh very Poor child. it's very sad but life goes on as it used to humans with a lack of humanity matthew continues down the street to the department of health stopping in the lab filled with duplicate employees including an emotionless elizabeth who probably showed up on time yeah <laughs> that hurt yeah. yeah, I was like, man, y'all used to be cool. Everybody's just sitting in there. <laughs> but she just monitors a solution in a beaker and he looks away. He returns to his office, cutting an article out of a newspaper, business as usual. Yeah. And he places it into his pocket. When he sees employees leaving the building in an orderly fashion, he joins in step with them in the hall, watching the elevator go down. And he notices Elizabeth in the window, looks at her and doesn't react. Outside, Matthew stoically surveys the city, passing dead trees on his way to City Hall, a distorted Amazing Grace playing in the background almost mockingly. But behind him, he hears a familiar voice calling his name. He turns to see Nancy. Hell yeah. yes, Nancy. <laughs> I was so happy. She's the fucking MVP yeah. of this. Yeah. She's like handling her shit. She's like, I tricked him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But she makes sure the coast is clear and walks over to him smiling. Matthew doesn't return the smile, however. He raises his hand to point at her, his eyes growing tight and his mouth twisting open as he emits a deafening shriek, alerting the other pod people to the remaining human. No! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so clever because this whole last scene, you're like, is he? No. Yeah. Is he? No. Because... If he's human, he's needing to blend in. Exactly. It's very like, because the flashlight sweeps across and it's like, did he? Yeah. Oh, no, he's fine. Wait, he's... is he? Like the whole time I was going back and forth and then I was so happy when yes. Nancy, oh, that was, I was <laughs> devastated. But would, but would we be able to make that noise? He's a pod he's a person. Pod. Okay, yeah. I thought you yeah. were no, no, saying no, no, no. that no, I was no, like, no. that's when yeah. I was like, oh, the dream is gone. Yeah. <laughs> the okay. dream is dead. Yeah, because when he started, I was like, oh, he's blending in really well. Yeah. yeah. Not at all. Oh, got it. <laughs> but Nancy crumbles into sobs as the camera presses into Matthew's open mouth. We fade to black and the credits roll. So this ending, I want to say, is bleak as fuck. Oh, yeah. 
But they had said in the Hollywood Reporter that this ending was kept a secret. Oh, wow. Kaufman pitched it and they took it to Donald Sutherland and they gave him the opportunity to veto it. Yeah. But he's like, oh, no, that's perfect. I love that. (laughs) They didn't tell Veronica Cartwright. And so she, yeah, she was told that they were going to be the last two humans. Yeah. And that reaction was real. I just got Ah. (laughs) (laughs) nice. She felt betrayed. That is, that's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I feel like that, that probably doesn't work all the time, but if it is pulled off right. Yes. And you do kind of hold some information from other actors and then let them just play it out. Getting that genuine reaction is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And her, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. They even said the studio executives didn't know the ending. Oh, shit. And they, I guess they had the first showing, the first screening at George Lucas's house. <laughs> and <laughs> when Who? He, He's a little known director. Oh, okay. He did like a tiny space movie, right? Yeah, Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But um, whenever they saw it, they were surprised because they had no idea what was coming. I wonder if that was purposefully withheld because of what happened with the original film. I think that is... Ah. That makes perfect sense. Right? Because they're like, like... you're not fucking with this. No, no, no. Yeah. Because that's brilliant. And it makes me think what... When they wanted to end it just as bleak in the first one... Right. They're like, we got you. Right. I love that. So good. But I have to ask the customary question. What did you guys think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I did enjoy this movie. Like I said, for me, it was a little long. Uh... I I will admit that the love story I guess does work okay. here. It does work, but I I mean I guess it could work either way, with or without it. But for this using emotion, it does work. It does help the story and kind of you know what I mean, push it along further. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I still think it's just a little too long. <laughs> like I feel like the movie is just too long. We didn't need all the phone call scenes. We didn't need the weird <laughs> cuts. We didn't like it was the I think it was. And I told your sister the first half, I think, did me in. So when the second half happened and all that shit was happening, I was like, man, you really you already got yeah, you kind of, uh-huh. you know, you lost me. Uh-huh. And when this shit's happening, yeah, it's cool. And I'm invested in it, but not as much as if you would have shorten that first half okay right because the second half is by far better than the first half of the movie not saying that the first half of the movie is bad but it is it's a bit of a drag for me anyway okay because it's kind of stretching it out and setting up things it's like all right well you kind of already telling us what's happening (laughs) at the beginning yeah we know (laughs) i don't need you to stretch this out just show me how it ends. They literally open with the aliens. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I already know this is an alien movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't need to. There's no mystery anymore. Yeah. I don't need to know all of that. Just <laughs> let's get to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're here. Humanity's fucked. Let's see how this plays out. <laughs> I don't need to see this dude flirting with her and then her cheating on her plant boyfriend and <laughs> she's not vegetarian anymore. And this, it's just. It, you know what I mean? It was just a little too long for me. Yeah. That was it. It was just a little too long. But other than that, I think it's a good movie. It's really good. If you if you've never seen it, I'd recommend at least watching it. Oh once. yeah, for sure. At least checking it out. It might not be for everybody, um, but then again, it might be fucking just what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I really like the second half more than I like the first half. And that's not saying that the first half isn't good. I just felt like some of the cuts were a little, I was like, wait, what, like what is happening? Uh-huh. Um, when it 
starts when it pops off it doesn't fucking stop no i mean i really really liked this and i thought that i would because it's so you know highly regarded Uh but i didn't think i would like it as much as i did my only issue is like i don't and this may be like stupid or whatever but i don't like i would have liked a little more like reason why matthew and kibner are friends like I like maybe don't make okay. him a colossal fucking piece of shit as soon as we meet him, <laughs> because then it would be like, well, why is he being so dismissive now? Oh, no, he was always like that. Yeah. So if he didn't start out a pod person or start out aiding the pod people, like I thought <laughs> it's some uh, just a little more development would have helped me. I can get that. But I, I really, I overall, I think this is really great. And the ending is oh, perfection. That last scene is perfect. I really, I agree that it's a really great film. I think it's very smart in the way that it's handled tonally. Yeah. Because for me, when the romance works, it is incredible. And when you need to be scared, it's great. Right. When you need to be worried, you know. Yeah. Paranoia, they sell that better than just about any film I can think of. Mm-hmm. But I, I also really appreciate how when you look at it as an allegory, the pods can mean anything. Yeah. Like anything at all. And it's been used. I mean, you hear it in modern like speech. Oh, yeah. People say, you know, pod people, whatever. Yeah. And not talking about podcasters like us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, we're the pod people. Oh, my God. But um, I think that it taps into a universal fear. And that's really hard to do mm-hmm. and hard to do effectively. If they make this movie again in 10 years, because they've made it like four times, I said. Yeah. yeah. But if they make it again, when we watch it, those pod people are going to mean something different to us. That's true. And that's really cool. Yeah. But I guess we can go into ratings. Yeah. I The performances to me are great. I think that there are a lot of really iconic moments in this film and they're really aided by the cinematography and the score. Mm-hmm. There's so much that works that works so well and you understand why it's so timeless like it is. Um, I wanted, because friend of the show, Jordan Roberts had said or mentioned about the platonic relationship between the two of them that blossoms into love. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's honestly probably one of the better ways I've seen it done. Yeah. For me, I mean, to me, when you think about it, it's like... Uh, it's makes it so much more tragic and it sells that tragedy and it ends with the loss of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it it is very hopeless at the end. And the only way that you can sell that hopelessness is to have that hope that they felt to give us something to take away from us. Yes. Yeah. And they did. And that ending is amazing. I can't, I can't even, as a teenager, I was like 13 when I saw it the first time, and that's the only thing I remembered. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a reason. Yeah. But no, I just think it's brilliant. Um, there are, I will say on the negative side, some odd choices made. Bold to have no mystery at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. It is aliens. Yeah. It's goo. But I do think that um, there is some pacing issues here and there. But if I were to really quantify that it really doesn't add up to that many negatives for me right so for me out of 10 pernicious pods i am going to give invasion of the body snatchers 8.5 pernicious pods out of 10 i really enjoy this movie and I, i enjoyed it more than i thought i would yeah and uh definitely watch it the twist ending is fucking like 
incredible. Yeah. And it just, it works, I, I guess, 85% of the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but I will now open the floor to you. I, I, I did enjoy the movie. And for all the reasons that you said as well, uh-huh. I think for me, the only thing that, that hurt me really about the love story was how fast she moved on. And also they already seemed like they were together anyway. So why even show her with dude? If, Y'all having dinner. Y'all look like a couple already. Yeah, that is kind of funny because she was not like Jeff at all. Like she was no. just like so anyway. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's different. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> he dressed funny. What's oh. up with me and you? It's like, dude, damn. What I mean, like I get it, you know, but it 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 already felt established. Right. So to me, it didn't feel like it blossomed. It felt like that was already there. So it didn't, I guess that's kind of why it didn't work for me as much because you already had this love story there already. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch anything happen. I just watched them except the fact that they were already in love. Right. So it's like that for me, to me anyway, that's, and then it, I do feel like it was a little long. Um, Some of the cuts were weird, but I mean that I can just kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. But no, the movie, I've never seen this. This was a first watch, fresh watch. I do like it. And it is funny to see all the things that other films oh, man. Or that take from this. Yeah. And it's like, God damn, you guys just straight ripped off shit. <laughs> like seeing, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, what the fuck? But it it is good. Mm-hmm. And I would recommend anyone to watch it at least once. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least once. I did mean to mention, I forgot, but the episode of Futurama where they go to the planet of the robots and they're going to patch up Fry's coolant. Yeah. Yeah. And that <laughs> and robot he... is like, Mah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's this. That is so yeah. funny. Yeah. It's so many. It's so far reaching. Right. But, but you do see that and it's like, damn, you know, that's the one thing I will say about the show. It has. It, it makes us watch stuff that we've never seen before. Then you do appreciate things that you see where they come from or you don't. And you are, you know what I mean? You see it and it's like, Oh, I see what you were trying to do there. But even though this copied you, they did it better. Okay. You know right. what I mean? And I it's get that. like, fuck, but this movie is good. So you're saying that you love the faculty? <laughs> No, I'm saying that I I like the happening enough to say that I like that I don't like the happening, but I like that Mark Wahlberg's in the happening (laughs) and John Leguizamo and and I mean, anyway, 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 we're getting off track. It's fine. But for me on a scale from one to ten pernicious pods, I'm going to give Invasion of the Body Snatchers a 7.5. Wow. I did enjoy the movie. Like I said, the beginning, I think that was just it. And I've said it a lot of times. I'm not a slow burn kind of guy. And yeah, the first half was a little slower than the second for me. Because the second did. As soon as shit happened, it was nonstop. Yeah. But again, like you said, there was no mystery. I don't need all that buildup. I don't need all of that. Now, if we didn't know that they were aliens, Uh cool. Then give me that. But you already told me what you had in your bag. Right. You know what I mean? You showed me the cat. <laughs> there, you know what I mean? He's not in there no more. So <laughs> yeah, I don't need to do all that. Like, He's we, out. Yeah, yeah, we don't need to do all that. He's stretching to yeah. that weird role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. You, you reminded me because that is, they do give away the mystery like completely at the start. Yeah. 
But one thing that they did kind of roll out a little bit is the process by which it happens. Okay. Because I did want to call out whenever Elizabeth's real body crumbles, mm-hmm. those are the husks that are being thrown away into the garbage trucks. That's what I, yeah. Okay. That's what I figured. When yeah. I seen her two go down, I was yeah. like, oh, that's just the people. Just yeah. throw them in the trash. That's what Jeffrey well, is sweeping up yeah. in the morning, and then he throws into the back of the truck. And then he's like, goodbye, garbage yeah. truck. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, old body. Farewell. <laughs> but it's nuts to see them pop up so often. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even put that together. That's it's amazing. Like, I love that. Yeah, I really, really like this as well. I mean, I said I have a couple like nitpicky shit. I did have a little trouble with some of the cuts at the beginning because it was just like, Oh, like, yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> but overall, once it hits a certain point, I'd say once we get to the, either the book party or when he first goes to the baths, it is nonstop after that. Yeah. It is one thing after another. I mean, think about the fact that we got the human faced dog and the old lady knockout within 30 seconds of each other. Yeah. Like this shit is <laughs> popping off. It is crazy. I still can't believe that uppercut. Yeah. That- <laughs> and he had like no emotion when no, he did it. No, he didn't. <laughs> he stayed a character. <laughs> <laughs> he followed instructions. It, yeah. It is it's just wow. But I ended up really I really really did enjoy this more than I even had expected to. Even I'm like, "Oh, Jeff Goldblum, I'm going to love this." Uh-huh. But even more than that, like this yeah. is really great and it further cements really into sci-fi horror. I yeah. really really like it. And it's something I never like fully. I mean, I guess I did give it a chance because we said 80 times how much the faculty took from this. Right. Yeah. But I didn't give it enough of a chance. I'll say because I really this is great. Yeah. But on a scale from one to 10 pernicious pods. Very good. Very good. (laughs) I gave Invasion of the Body Snatchers and I have it written right here. I also gave it 8.5 pernicious pods (laughs) out of 10. Pernicious <laughs> I really, really liked this. And again, that last scene, I wouldn't change a second of it. No. Right. It is perfect. But like you said, yeah, watch this if you haven't. No, yeah. Even if you've seen the other ones, even if you've seen the faculty, <laughs> <laughs> still watch it. Because none of them had a, a banjo dog with the human face. No. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Invasion of the Body Snatchers and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Windigo Gitter patrons. And remember, while imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, it is possible to take things too far. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Windigo Getter patrons. Woo, yeah. <laughs> Woo, yeah. <laughs> or we can just have no emotion and thank oh, everybody yeah. for it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was going to try to do that screech, but I, I might throw yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson can do that shit. I, yeah, you uh, can. Yeah. Let's get him in here. That's, that's, a, that's a young man's game. <laughs> but a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, 
Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Aplin Ontiveras, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Negeri, Eggie, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Amanda Aliff, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Craig Kowalski, Beth, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, JSL, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Maya Noches, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Ben Coons, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jace OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Hannah R, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, M. Fryback, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higetta, William Rush, Katarina, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, and Wesley Wyatt. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. Yes, I mean, thank you all so much. <laughs> right, the list is growing. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can do, folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we truly appreciate all of you, and we want to thank you for being our pod people. Right? Nah. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. yeah. And then pod. They're people. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I put the two together. <laughs> very good. <laughs> thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs>